Welcome to the RC Roundtable Podcast, where we discuss the latest RC hobby news, events, model reviews, and a whole lot more. And Happy, Happy New Year! New Year. <laughs> Great minds think alike. Yes, so. it's the year 2323, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might have missed a zero here or there. And strangely enough, we just released our last episode of 2022, and here we are doing our first episode of 2023. <laughs> but that's because we took forever to process that last one. Yeah. Collectively. And, and this is yeah, 165, right? Aren't we 165? I oh, think yeah, 165, right. yeah. I blame the holidays. Everything. 65 episodes. Yeah, that's amazing. Got to be uh, yeah. some sort of milestone for something for, for us, I guess. Uh, anyways, welcome to the 2023 version of the RC Roundtable, brought to you both in audio and on YouTube in video, stereo vision, monster vision. <laughs> anyways, uh, <laughs> on your smartphone. <laughs> smartphone. Oh man, I got an awesome smartphone. Did you see that, my my baby? Yeah. Anyways, oh this friendly reminder where we we <laughs> we do a podcast. And our shows are now on YouTube. So whenever you hear us talk about show and tell, you need to pull over, <laughs> get off your podcast, and then watch it on YouTube. Get on YouTube, subscribe, hit the bell, and, and join we us. we have to be better about not talking about things they can't see. That is correct. Terry, you <laughs> have to keep us in line. <laughs> I stunk at it last mind's, time. Mine's eye. Well, the guy that stinks is uh, Death Terry Dunn. What? No. <laughs> read it. Be, there's a story Max. behind it. Yeah, you'll get the, okay. the story that explains all that. If, if you're while. watching YouTube, he's got a label that says Death by UMX. That, that's better than BMX, I guess, but we'll have to hear that story. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. the undead is Lee Ray. I'm, I'm still alive. You're alive. Yeah, getting, yeah. You, you're on the mend? I'm on the mend. I've, I'm getting over the China virus. And, uh, yeah, it's, it did me in for two hard weeks, and I'm... Doing much better now, thank you. That's good. That reminds me, I got. I need to ask you something after the show. So remind me to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> About the virus, sure. I'm an expert now. <laughs> <laughs> but to ask you before, but uh, I forgot, so I had to ask you after. Right. Anyways, today we have a special guest. First guest Hi. of the new year. We're bringing a new year with a really high quality guest here at the RC Roundtable. And hey, I, we don't know that yet. We don't know. Well, it, it remains to be seen. Theoretically high quality. We'll see how he does. Yeah. <laughs> well, he hasn't sent us a bill yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't know how much it's going to cost us. He hasn't ghosted us yet. Uh, well, anyways, without any further ado, let's welcome Mr. Lucian Miller, the CEO and president of Innovative Designs, and also a co-host of his own podcast, All hey, Things How's it going, guys? Hey, yeah. thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's good to get with other uh, podcasters and and uh, talk about model airplane stuff, man. Oh, Yeah bringing a new year on a on a high note here mm -hmm. and uh, thanks so, so much for joining us we really appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us three yahoos about model airplanes and stuff and things sure, and not sure. only that but we reached out to him earlier today and we've kind of been chatting for a month or so but this was super last minute so thank you for clearing your schedule to accommodate us <laughs> yeah talk no about problem. quick quick reaction force yeah <laughs> 
All right, so let's get started. Uh, we got a whole bunch of stuff we want to talk about, so let's just, let's get at it. Uh, first of all, uh, Mr. Lucian, Mr. Miller, um, mm -hmm. tell us about yourself. Um, uh, I presume you fly model airplanes? I, I do. I got involved in the RC model hobby when I was about 14 years old. I mean, I, as a kid, you know, at like 10, 11, 12 years old, I used to build those little uh comet kits that you could buy at kmart's for 97 cents you know and i'd climb up on the roof of my house and throw them <laughs> off to get a little extra distance and um that that graduated into control line and then i got into rc cars for a little while but then uh one of my dad's friends that he worked with a guy named kenny muir who's still around today i think kenny's about 86 years old now but he taught me how to fly back in 1975 when i was 14 years old and uh, just got hooked big time um, on, uh, you know, RC, you know, model airplanes and been doing it ever since for the last, you know, 47 years. Um, and over the course of that time, I've, I've actually owned three different companies related to the hobby industry. My first one was when I was 23. Um, you know, I came out with a product called No Heat Trim Solvent, which was used to put monocoat over the top of monocoat without, oh, right. without using heat. And then um, I uh, ended up coming out with a series of products called the ball bearing servo conversion kits that you could buy. And you could take the, at that time, the Futaba or the Airtronics or the high tech stock servos and replace the top case of the servo with one that had a ball bearing in it. So you could tighten up, you know, the slop in your servos and what, what, what you could buy a whole set of. It was called the uh, Ball Bearing Servo Conversion Kit. Real original name. I think name. I have one of those. It's very possible, but we sold those under the name of uh, LDM Industries was my company back then. And um, we... Uh, <laughs> we lost Fitz. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, for those of you not list watching, and I knew this was going to happen, Fitz is like looking around his... Fitz is going, going on a I know what that hunt. is. And he's walked away. <laughs> <laughs> but, How's you know, we, we did that. And then I, uh, I got back in... Uh, I... I kind of got out of it for a while but then i got back into the hobby again into the business and i came out with a line of airplane kits a combat fighter series and some other stuff and then uh you know as life happens sometimes i ended up you know getting divorced have to sell the business relocate do all kinds of other stuff and uh kind of got out of the business side of the hobby and actually got out of the hobby uh pretty you know for a while when i moved out to california and then uh, back in 2005, a uh, buddy of mine, Al Tahera, who owns Tahera Microsystem Engineering, another oh, right. model company, he had, you know, the trickle charger for charging your radios. And he also had the smoke system for the big airplanes. And he had a lot of cool products. And back then he was talking to me about these new brushless motors that were coming out, these new LiPo batteries that were coming out, you know, and this new technology. So I kind of got back into it and started dealing with that and started making my own CD-ROM motors and everything. And then I got back into the hobby real heavy and discovered RC groups and became a pro prolific, uh, you know, publisher on RC groups with all kinds of build threads. And I started making these big part jets and all kinds of stuff like that. And um, back in uh, about 2006, I got really fed up with what was going on with my my job that I had at the time. And I really wanted to get back into the hobby and just a chance meeting. I met up. Uh, with a guy named George Van Gansen um, on RC Groups, who and he was coming out with a new line of motors and speed controllers, which you guys have probably heard of, uh, the brand Scorpion. Sure. 
And um, we got to talking and I helped because I'm a, an electrical engineer by trade. I helped them uh, with their speed controllers and work out some bugs with the speed controllers and get those working good. And I did a lot of their initial motor testing as a beta tester. And um, very quickly, you know, uh, George and I kind of hit it off and we uh, he was actually vacationing in Southern California and he was staying at a hotel in the town that I live in. Like, what are the odds of that from a guy li that lives in Hong Kong to come to San Marcos, California and with his family to go to Legoland and, and he was staying a mile and a half from where I live, you know? So we met up and he was wanting to bring this line of motors out. And I told him, you know, Hey, I want to be, you know, I want to get back in the hobby again. So we, we set up an agreement where I would be their, their North American uh, distributor for Scorpion products. And we did that for about 13 years. We, uh, we uh, brought, you know, the, the Scorpion name out and um, helped develop the airplane motors and then the, uh, the helicopter motors and all that kind of stuff. And we had a really great run with Scorpion and, you know, back about uh, 28, October of 2018, I had been going through an issue with a person I was with and um, I ended up having to, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, divorce that whole situation and relocate my business back to my hometown uh, of Monroe, Michigan. And so I was like a year without being able to really represent the uh, the Scorpion brand like I had in the past and like I really should have been doing. And then George came to me and said, Hey, you know, we need to get a different distributor. And so, you know, they, they switched and they got Mikado USA to start doing, you know, the Scorpion stuff. And, you know, in that meantime, I had brought out and developed the Cobra brand and I always wanted to have my own line of motors. So after Cobra uh, was gone, um, I started developing my own line of uh, motors and I wanted to take everything I knew about motors and, and build them from the best materials that were currently available uh, and just make the best motor that you could buy. You know, that was that was my goal. And I designed these motors and we got a bunch of beta testers and we sent samples out to a bunch of beta testers and without fail. We we didn't have a name for the motors yet. Okay, we had no idea what we were gonna what we were gonna call them. They were just innovative designs motors. You know, that's all we were that's all we were referring to them as. And all four, four or five of our testers that we had sent motors to all come back and said, "Dude, this motor is so badass. This is like <laughs> the most badass motor I've ever seen in my life." And then uh, another guy came back and go, "Oh man, the performance of this motor! One word, badass, man!" And and after we heard this from everybody, we thought that's a little edgy, but why don't we just call them badass motors? And and so we did, and we came up with our new lineup of badass motors, and we introduced them back in uh, 2019, and they've been out for like three years now, and they've just very rapidly become uh, a very super popular motor, and of all places. One of the areas that they just went crazy in is control line stunt. You know, like oh, who'd, have, yeah. who'd have thunk that control line was going to make a big comeback? But in the last few years, because guys are getting older and they're, you know, it's really easy to see an airplane from 60 feet away on the end of a couple of pieces, a couple of wires, you know, where you can't see that airplane when it's a mile out, you know. And also, if you've got a parking lot or a ball diamond or a big backyard, you can fly control line pretty much anywhere. And so Control Line has made this like crazy resurgence in the last five years. And some of the people started finding out about our badass motors and putting them in Control Line. And there were several top 
top people like Paul Walker and Arrestus Hernandez, you know, and, you know, some of the other big names in, in control line that started using these things. And um, at the control line Nats in like 2020, um, in, in the top 20 pilots, 19 of them were flying badass motors. And it's like, it just, just Whoa. shocked me. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it, you know. And so, you know, we've gotten to the point now where, you know, the badass brand has gotten some real traction. Um, and uh, you're seeing right there our new Tempest line. We wanted to have another line because with the acquisition of uh, Great Plains by Horizon, you know, Horizon has been phasing out all of the E-Flight motors. They're phasing out all the Rimfire motors. And they're coming up with these new Spectrum motors. Mm-hmm. And there really wasn't a a really solid quality value motor out there that had the kind of backing that we give our products with the prop charts and with the, you know, the, the customer service and all the information that we do. And so uh, a little over a year ago, we came out with the Tempest line. So now we've got like three tiers of motors. We got our badass line, which is our premium premier line. And then we got our Cobra, which is our middle of the road line. And then we've got our new entry level Tempest motors. And so we've got stuff, you know, for, you know, all the different budgets and all the different people that, you know, depending on what they want to do with their products. And so they've been really successful for us. And uh, we've just been, you know, growing the business and adding new products on it. And, you know, that kind of brings us to where we are now, you know, and things are, you know, going real good. And, and you know, you, you mentioned that I had a podcast, you know, I, when I went to the uh, Scorpion factory in like 2008 for the first time to visit the factory, I came back and they had me on as a guest on the all things that, that fly podcast and they were really you know said oh man it was great to have you and they started bringing me on like once a month as like the power system specialist we did a little thing called the power system corner and that kind of grew and then one of the uh one of the hosts had to leave the show and they asked me to join in on the show so i became a permanent host of the show in about 2009 and we ran with the show uh, you know for years and years and years and um we were we kind of had a hiatus there for a few years you know people got changed jobs people got you know moose got married uh and and the other host changed jobs and moved to seattle to work for google you know and i had stuff going on and we just we just kind of dropped the show for a while and moose and i revamped the show about a year and a half ago and we started doing it again but then um my father came down with a uh he got his COVID vaccines, but then he got a horrible allergic reaction to him and ended up in the hospital and almost died and, and, and ended up having to have a pacemaker put in. And then he got a sepsis infection from the pacemaker. And I mean, for like all of 2021, I was at the hospital with my dad, taking my mom back and forth. And so I just, you know, there just wasn't time to do the podcast and, or anything like that. And so that, that sort of fell by the wayside. Uh, but I do want to revamp it, you know, get it back going again. Hopefully, now that things have settled and Dad's, you know, back on the men, he's doing good now, good. and every, every everything's, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, back back to normal if there is such a thing as normal anymore these days. But yeah. you know, that's that's kind of kind of where I'm at right now, and uh, you know, we're in our 16th year at Innovative Designs now, wow. and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been going yeah, that's for. A good yeah, we, we started it in 2006, and so this is the beginning. Right now, we're in, it's starting our 17th year. 
So, so uh, one of the things I when I first realized you guys were seem to be making some inroads was I was at the SAE Aero Design Competition, and mm -hmm. I saw one of your at least one of your motors on some of the, on the, one of the planes. Right. And in uh, that competition is you know they need a, as much power as they can get out of whatever power system they're using, mm -hmm. and so I, I thought, hey, that's a, one of the badass uh, motors. If they're using that, they obviously have some confidence in that, giving them as much power as, as they can get out of the. The, right. uh, that size motor. So, uh, okay. Me? Look like you were going to say something, Terry. <laughs> I was. Well, I wanted you to finish your part, but I was just curious. You know, you said that the name "badass" was a little bit controversial. Did you get any flack from places where you wanted to advertise? We did get a little bit. I mean, actually, the Academy of Model Aeronautics caught a little flack from some ultra right wing conservative people that that uh, thought that that was, um, you know, a travesty to have the word ass, you know, in, but, you know, you watch TV these days and I, I hear the word, I, I, you know, uh, my, my fiance Juanita and I, we just kind of, we kind of have a counter. We kind of laugh every time we hear the word badass on TV, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's just all over the place. And, um, you know, I had, you know, some crazy, uh, you know, I, I won't call them crazy. They were, they were very, ultra right wing evangelical Christian people, you know, and, and they, they were offended by the name of the motor. And, um, so, you know, I, I, I can get that point. And, and I told him, I said, well, you know, it, it's, you know, the word ass is all over the Bible, you know, and when we say ass, you know, our, our, our guy, Jack, who's our, our little spokes model, he is a donkey or an ass as they call it in, in the Bible. And I, I sent him a list of, all the Bible verses where the word ass was used just to show him that it was in the Bible like 67 different times. And um, he, he took great offense at that. He called me a, blas a blasphemous whatever. But, you know, it's like, you know, it is what it is. And and 99.7% uh, of the people think it's a cool name and they love it. And, and yeah. so there's always going to be a couple people, no matter what you do, that are upset. But we've gotten really good response for it, you know, and I do get some older gentlemen like, yes, I'd like to order one of your BA motors. <laughs> and and it, it, it's like, and so when they do that, I, yes, we have our BA 3530 and our BA 3520, you know, and, and stuff like that. So, but uh, like I said, it's, it's been, you know, for the most part, it's, it's, it's been, it was always tongue in cheek. And, sure. um, and the, and the reason we called it that is because every person that tried the motor, in our beta testers, that's what they called it. So I figured, well, if that's what the guys want to call it, we'll call it that. You know? Yeah, it fits. It does. <laughs> you ever get somebody that uses the uh, the British pronunciation, arse, or is it Ireland, whatever? <laughs> Bad arse motors? <laughs> mm, no, I, I actually have not run across that one yet. Yeah, if so, you get a distributor so, in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> so, Fitz, you, you left us earlier when Lucian started talking. Did you come back with a, a toy, a trinket? There you go. Yeah, now see, that's from EMS. E e the company EMS shamelessly stole our design ah. and started making ah. it. Oh, Fitz. Oh, oh sorry. Digging well, uh, up some controversy. But, but that's, Shall I burn, that's burn what that's what, that's what they that's what they looked like, and it was just a servo top with a ball bearing um, in the top ass. of it. And um, yes. yeah, <laughs> but that that was the product, and um, yeah, that was. Uh, just a nut that was a, another company that that just blatantly copied our design and started making them. 
Uh, well, sorry, apologies. No, no offense. Uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm, I'm over it. That's, 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 you know, that's in the past. <laughs> Great content, Fitz. Yeah. <laughs> now you mentioned, was it Tahara Microsystems? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Albert Tahara from Tahara okay. Microsystems Engineering. I'm trying to remember the specific product that he was most known for. Was it a charger? Yes, he made a thing called the trickle charge adapter. And, you know, back in the day, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, where you had to have a radio for every airplane if you wanted to take multiple airplanes to the field, because there were no, you know, um, your radio had one model memory. That was it, you know. Right. And, and, so, you know, like me, I, I, I flew Futaba back then, and I probably had 13 or 14 radios, and I had, you know, a bookshelf much like one of these here, you know, in my workshop, you know, and I had like three radios on each shelf, and I had like a power strip on this side and a power strip on this side, and I had all my transmitters plugged in all the time because there's nothing that sucks worse than it's been raining for two days, and it's a beautiful Saturday, and you want to go fly, and you go grab your transmitter. It's like, darn it, the battery's dead. It takes 14 hours to charge the dang thing. And so what it would do is you'd push a button on the trickle charger and it would charge for like 10 hours and top off all your batteries. And then it would pulse charge. It would send out a one second pulse and then it would shut off for three seconds. And then send out a one second pulse and then shut off because you can float charge NICAD batteries at one fortieth of their C rate forever and you'll never hurt them. And it keeps them topped off all the time. And so I, I had a bunch of big long servo extensions running over to the airplanes that were sitting on the shelf next to my radios. And that way all my stuff was always charged, ready to fly at a moment's notice anytime, you know, I wanted. And so, you know, now you don't have that problem with electrics because the radio runs off the motor battery, which has to be charged to fly. And, you know, we're putting lipo batteries and transmitters now and you only charge them like once a month, you know, so, and, and if you want to charge them, you can fast charge it, you know, in the car on the way while you're driving to the flying field in a half an hour and you're ready to go. So, you know, but uh, yeah, that was his product that, that he did. And he also had a, uh, a smoke pump that would plug into your like your retract channel that was that you could turn on and off in flight to pump smoke oil into your muffler for, you know, big gas or planes when you wanted to do smoke riding. So that was another one of his products that he was very well known for. Well, you mentioned BEC circuits a minute ago, mm-hmm. and it's funny you say that because the reason we invited you on originally was because Fitz regaled us with a story a couple episodes ago mm-hmm. about when he was flying his BV-141, he unknowingly ejected the one and only battery on the plane, yet was somehow able to glide around, retract, no, extend the landing gear, and come in for a fully controlled landing on the runway with no conceivable power source on the airplane. Mm-hmm. And we threw out a few conspiracy theories at the time of what might have caused that, although I don't mm-hmm. think we hit the final answer then. Um, did we talk about it? Maybe we did in the chat. Yeah, uh, we, yeah but, well, I had my suspicions, but, uh, yeah. But okay. uh, so, we weren't sure exactly. Well, I'm going to assume that most listeners don't have the final story on that, although it is going to mm. be in my next column, thanks to Lucian. Um, but we have Lucian here, so please explain to us how an airplane with no battery on board was able to power the radio for a fully controlled landing. Well, you know, um, all of our airplanes now, you know, have uh, in, in most of the speed controllers, there's a thing called a BEC circuit. And in its simplest form, you know, a BEC circuit is just a voltage regulator that's, you know, soldered onto the back of the uh 
circuit board that the speed controllers laid out on and you take you know 12 volts from a three cell battery or 16 volts from a four cell battery and you feed it into this voltage regulator and it spits out five volts and then that goes out to your receiver and your servos and powers your radio up so you don't have to carry a second like we used to do glow old school days you know a four cell nicad pack to power your receiver and your servos and because you're eliminating that second battery, they, they kind of got the name battery eliminator circuit, when in fact, it's just a voltage regulator that's built into the speed controller that steps down the voltage from the battery to the five volt level to drive your receiver and your servos. Now, one th you know cool thing about our motors, our brushless motors um, can function both as a motor or a generator. Uh, if you build a generator, the only difference between a, a generator and a motor is, is you know, some slight phase angle timing between the stator and the magnets. But other than that, a motor will operate as a generator. And a, a lot of ways that like people will test the KV of a motor is they'll put the motor like up in a drill press and they'll spin the motor at like a thousand RPM. And then they measure the AC RMS output value of the motor. And then they do the math and you can get the KV of the motor by the number of volts of AC you know, voltage that it generates. Now, if you've got a motor with a KV value of say 500, okay, and you are flying around and your battery falls out well now your motor is just freewheeling the air's hitting the prop and the you know if you don't have brake turned on in your speed controller whenever you have a, an electric motor and you shut the power off to it they will usually windmill and freewheel well while it's doing that the motor's actually acting like a generator and if you got a motor with a 500 kv and you spin it at about you know even 2500 rpm it's going to you know, 2,500 divided by 500 is 5 volts. And so it's going to make 5 volts and feed it back into the system. Now, if it's if it's freewheeling a little bit faster than that, you could get 6 or 7 volts. And so what was happening in, in uh, Fitz's case is because the motor was still freewheeling, it was acting as a generator, backfeeding power into the speed controller, which was then being rectified by the MOSFET transistors and, you know, and biased enough to actually turn them on and get the current to flow backwards into the speed controller. Now, not all speed controllers will do this. They've got to be set up a certain way in order to do this. But, you know, he, he got lucky in the fact that his speed controller was one that will do that. And the filter capacitors on the input side of the of the uh, speed controller sort of acted like a little reserve capacity and, and kind of filtered out, you know, the noise and stuff. And he probably had six or seven volts kind of floating around there in the system. You know, had he pulled the plane up into a stall and had the prop stop, then he would have lost everything. But the fact that he was in a glide while it was going on and the propeller kept freewheeling, it acted as a generator and made enough voltage to continue powering the receiver and continue powering the servos and enable him to, in a, I would imagine, a rather quick, you know, gliding descent around the pattern straight into a landing, kept the prop spinning fast enough to ge generate enough voltage to keep the receiver and the servos alive and even had enough juice left in it to put the gear down, you know? So that was, you know, I mean, it, he had all the boxes ticked that he needed yeah, to, to yeah. pull that off. But yeah. it, you know, that, that is, that is what happened. And that's, that's why, you know, uh, you know, he probably should have bought a lottery ticket on the way home that night. Because <laughs> yeah, all lucky, the, yes. all the planets were aligning on his side of the <laughs> field that day. The, 
all the Swiss cheese holes lined up because yeah, you're yeah. right because the brake was off on that, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, and and it, it was propped such a way that it was freewheeling very nicely. It's a, it's a fairly large motor on it though. This was a 30 cc equivalent motor, so there's plenty of. Uh, momentum and juice in there to power all the systems oh yeah and, and those are I, typically very low kv motors like 150 or 200 so yes. a motor like that if it's spinning at 2000 rpm you now it's generating like 10 volts now, so it doesn't I take you, it told you guys but you know, i tested that on the bench i actually yeah. uh, i stuck a starter well a glow engine starter to it and and spun it up removed the battery and it maintained five five and a half volts on uh on a on a servo rail Right. So, I mean, this is good to have this technical explanation of how you were able to get the power to the receiver, but there's still an element of mystery here. Yes, all the planets had to align even to make that part happen, but I'm still super impressed that this asymmetric airplane that requires that battery for both lateral and for <laughs> FCG, when that was gone, somehow that airplane was still flyable. And you got it back on the runway in one piece. Yeah, yeah, it flew okay. I could tell something was a little bit off, but I figured because half the canopy was missing, that's why it was off a little bit. But it turns out because it was just there was no battery in there. <laughs> so even if you had a separate receiver battery and you had flung the flight battery, I would have been, wow, that's a cool story. Oh. How'd you land with the bad CG? But this just no. goes one degree further. Yeah, I could, well, I should mention that. When I first flew this model, when I first built it, the batteries weren't in the cockpit area. They were actually in the fuselage. Okay. And so it flew like that. It needed a bunch of aileron trim, but it flew like that. So, but I don't remember, I guess, even in the fuselage, the batteries weren't really that much far ahead of the CG. They must have been pretty close to the CG as far as the fort aft location of the battery. So I guess it was just, or because it had lost a whole bunch of weight that CG wasn't, uh, maybe it wasn't as effective as <laughs> with a higher weight. I don't know. Um, it just, it worked. I just, I really didn't notice anything more uh, outward, um, obscenely strange with the flight characteristics until I landed and it stopped, rolled to a stop. And since the prop wasn't spinning, I had no control of anything. I was like, well, that's odd. What happened there? I would have loved so. to have seen your face as you realized the the situation there yeah you look down like where's the battery where's the battery? Yeah. It's like, uh, it, well, they, they found the battery a guy found it in the, in the trees he's walking up holding the battery they got a picture of it something and and so because people wouldn't have believed me so there was guys standing there they're saying yeah we saw we witnessed he landed with no batteries <laughs> so but i have light came from the sky yeah. i just remember fitz turning around and going i should not have a plane right now <laughs> <laughs> well lucia you're a star wars fan i use my force powers to bring it in uh yeah. like uh like yoda did did on the X-wing fighter, Return of Jedi, but you know, uh, I did have. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say I just remember losing a prop adapter on a P fifty one, and <laughs> and you it. thought you thought I lost you know ten pounds of CG there because as soon as that thing flew off, the plane just tailed you know just flapped like this, <laughs> nose straight up in the air. I had no control. Then you <laughs> landed without a battery. What was it? A six eight S. It's eight, uh, 8S, yeah, 8S battery. And 8S, <laughs> how big? Yeah, prop adapter, two, 8S battery. <laughs> two uh, 4S 4000s in series. Wow. That's, so, what, two to three pounds of battery, that's right? That's two, pound, yeah, two pounds, pounds of battery. <laughs> yeah, it was a significant yeah. weight. So, But it's a big right. plane, 80-inch airplane, so as a percentage, it's probably not all that much. Yeah. yeah. But, um, Lucian, you kind of hit on something that, that, that really mm -hmm. kind of threw me for a loop at first when I was figuring this all out, and that... This had to have been a conscious design 
of the, the speed controller designers, right? For them, for them to take the back EMF that the motor generated and to be able to rectify it and feed it back into the BZ circuit. Well, you know, it, 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 honestly, I doubt if any if any electrical engineer would do that by design because the last thing you want to do is 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 put you know voltage into the output. You know, that's usually bad. You know, it's it's just a the way that some of the speed controllers are designed um, with the, uh, the there's there's uh, six banks of FET transistors that are set up in what they call a three phase H bridge configuration, and that's that's how they, they switch the the power to the different phase leads on a on a brushless motor. Because in in essence, all of our motors are three phase AC motors. They're not, you know, and the yeah. speed controller converts DC into three phase AC, and then that's how the motors are run. And so it's it's just a freak quirk that the way that the the circuit was done, that it was able to you know back feed into that and uh, feed into the uh, the voltage regulator part of the circuit, and then have the BEC have enough juice to actually power up and then feed the five volts back into the receiver you know so you powered the receive uh, you know uh powered the servos in the receiver so yeah it was just like it was just a very lucky you know coincidence of circumstance that caused that to happen but um you know good on you that it did <laughs> yeah yeah save the plane <laughs> that's good to know <laughs> yeah all right, so Fitz, I heard that you want to talk about 3D printing. We actually received an email from a listener about 3D printing. Yes, we did. Let me, uh, we got an email, I have it right here, um, from uh, Michael Perry. And he says, uh, hey, fellas, it's been a while since uh, Lee and Terry were excited and jumped into 3D printing. Would it be possible to give an honest update on your personal 3D printer or printing journey? Was it worth it? Uh, what? Or was it just a caught up in the excitement decision that was second guessed viewed in hindsight? Has the, has the technology since uh, progressed to a state where everyone thought and hoped it would be a couple of years ago? Uh, I feel intrigued by 3D printing, but hear quite different opinions. Uh, so um, he was curious about our thoughts and feelings on 3D printing. Uh, just before the show, we, we briefly talked about 3D printing and it turns out all four of us are into 3D printing of, of various, mm -hmm. um, uh, what do you say, um, maturity. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, but um, I know Lee just got a new one, I think, for his son. Uh, I have several. Terry, you, you, you still the one. Mine's I, 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 dusty. Okay. Yeah, so I got the the one that we all got for the Ender 3 Pro. Got that so a couple years Ender. ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot about um, that. Yeah. yeah, I have so, I have five of those now. <laughs> um, so I, as he suggested, I used it quite a bit at first, and you know I had this backlog of things that I'd always wanted to make, and I got through those, and then it started get, not getting used as much, and then with the move coming up, it just got set aside. So it's here. It's I'm planning to put it in place to start using it again, but it's static. For me. Mm -hmm. Do you still have the wooden wonder you got from me so many years ago? No. No, um, oh, that's right. You and I you talked about away. it. That's right. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, I think Thayer has it, and he is going to scavenge the parts from that. <laughs> no. Lucian, you know Thayer. Everybody oh, knows yeah, Thayer. Oh, Thayer yeah, Thayer Syme. Yeah, of yeah. course. Um, so he's got the, the stepper motors and all that. He's got the whole thing, but I think he's intending yeah. to use the stepper motors on a CNC project. 
gotcha. Cool. We'll have to interrogate him on that. I, know. <laughs> so, I, I think Lucia. I got started. I got started in 3D printing about five years ago, back when nobody there were no like pre-made you know real mainstream 3D printers yet. Everything was still the rep wrap movement, and, and people would buy all the parts to make a printer, then they'd use that printer to make all the parts for other printers <laughs> right. and stuff. And I got one of the early. Um, kits that was available from Anet, the Anet A6. Oh yeah, and it yeah, was I all, those. It's it's all made out of laser cut black acrylic, eight millimeter thick plexiglass, and it's got all linear slide rails and stuff. And I built that thing, and I have Frankenstein the crap out of that thing. <laughs> I've I've put about thirty mods on it, and the 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 base frame is so kind of flimsy and twisty because it's just you know. Uh, plexiglass bolted together in the corners and so what i ended up doing was somebody had built this or designed these uh brackets these support brackets and i bought a uh, a 24 by 18 inch piece of butcher block and i put all these support brackets and bolted it all down to this piece of butcher block so then i could then pick it up and move it without twisting it and throwing it all out of out of whack and i started with that one and then um i bought uh, an ender 3 and and got into that and then i bought a, a artillery x1 because i wanted a little bit bigger printer that it was a 300 by 300 by 400 millimeter love that thing uh and then i bought another ender 3 and then i bought another artillery x1 and then the local micro center store here every once in a while they'll put on a special where they sell ender 3 pros for 99 dollars if you sign up with a new email account on well heck yeah i'll make up a new email <laughs> account away. so i can get a printer for 99 dollars and so now I've got three Ender 3s, and I've got the Anet A6, I've got the two Artillery X1s, and I have bought two more Ender 3s that are still in the box uh, for 99 bucks a piece because it's cheaper for parts if I ever need <laughs> any parts. And, um, and uh, you know, my, my brother Rob, who's the artist that, you know, designed the Jack logo for our badass stuff, he's a, he was a contestant on that show Face Off uh, oh. on the Sci-Fi Channel uh, back in Season 8. And he is a artist, and he he designs stuff, and then 3D prints it, and paints it, and sculpts it, you know, and 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 paints it, and, and sells the stuff. And he's got about 23 printers now, and he's got oh, he he's got like 18 FDM printers and a half a dozen uh, resin printers. I just got my first resin printer a couple of months ago. I got the uh, the Anycubic um, Photon Mono 4K which has a build plate, you know, about the size of your cell phone screen. It's about a three by six build plate. And I've used that to make all kinds of cool stuff. Um, you know, I mean, I'm completely surrounded here, you know, by stuff, you know, you know, a 3D printed a little dragon for my grandkid, you know, and, you know, steam, steampunk octopus, you know, <laughs> and uh, a couple years ago for, my fiance's birthday, I, I 3D printed her a dozen roses with a nice vase, you know. Oh, so, cool. I mean, I've got all kinds of, you know, 3D printed stuff here. Uh, you know, uh, Groot from uh, uh, <laughs> Guardians, Guardians, of, Guardians the of the Galaxy, you yeah. know, and all that kind of stuff. So, my 3D printers run all the time. And, you know, I've actually designed a line of products that we sell on our website that we I, I designed in SolidWorks and we 3D print on demand and sell. So I, I actually make money. I've actually sold enough, you know, uh, of these new motor mounts to pay for my printers, which is kind of cool. Oh, but right. you can so see how... So we've got those on the screen now. What material are they? 
There, uh, we make them out of PETG, which is a very high strength plastic. And uh, because I designed the badass motors in SolidWorks, I used the badass motors as my model. As you can see, how the the uh, the mount fits perfectly, you know, oh, yeah. and the air holes and everything yeah, just that. fit on there. And we make them in different lengths. We make we make a series for 22 to 23 millimeter motors, and then another series for the 28 to 30s. And then another series for 35s and 41s, and then our big 45 millimeter motors. And what we do is we make them in five millimeter increment lengths, but then we also include three spacer shims: a one, a two, and a three millimeter thick shim. So when you you know when you typically like on a 40 size glow engine, the distance from the firewall to the prop drive washer is about four inches. But most of the electric motors that replace a 40 size glow are only about two inches long. So you need to make up that you know, inch and three quarters to two inches of space. And, you know, people were doing standoffs and people are having to glue other firewalls on. And I got to thinking one day, it's like, there's got to be a better way to do this in an integrated part. You know, so you put your motor in there and you measure the space. And if you need like 47 millimeters of space, you buy one of our 45 millimeter mounts, put a two millimeter spacer behind it, boom, you got a 47 millimeter mount. And it just takes all the guesswork and it makes it super easy to mount an electric motor in a plane that was originally built for a glow, you know, a lot of guys buy airplanes, they pull the motors out, they want to convert them to electric. They don't want to go in there and redo the firewall and stuff. Um, you know, a lot of kits today that are made, they're called a GP slash EP kit. Right. And they have they have the firewall in the normal position for a glow engine, but then they also have this little plywood box that's about a two-inch cube that they make out of eight-inch plywood. And then you can glue that. It keys into the firewall so you have a, an electric firewall two inches ahead of the original firewall so you can do that but if your kit didn't come with one of those or you're updating it then then these 3d printed mounts serve that purpose and allow you to put a motor very easily into an airplane uh, and take up that space do they all have zero degree thrust angle they're all set up zero degree now we have had some customers contact us and because I did all the CAD files and I have all the design, it's like, hey, I want one of these, but can you put three degrees of down thrust in it? It's like, yeah, so I just go into SolidWorks, you know, reprint it, send it to them, you know, or <laughs> guys will say, hey, I've got this weird motor and it in the whole space is not 25 by 25, it's 25 by 19. It's like, okay, I'll just open up the file, I'll move them two holes and I'll print it for you. It'll take me a couple of days because, you know, it's not one we have in stock. I have to print it on demand. And then, you know, we do that kind of stuff, too. So it's been and, – and we've had a couple of guys say, hey, uh, can you put a hole through it so I can put a nose gear in it? And I go, well, yeah. So we put a hole through it so we can put a nose gear in it, you know. So that's the beauty of 3D printing. I mean, for me as an engineer, it's like I'm looking at stuff, you know, and it's like, oh, crap, one of the latches for my window on my house broke, and I can't get these anymore because the, the windows are out of production. So I take the pieces to work, get out my calipers, measure it, draw it up in SolidWorks, 3D print it, bring it home. Now my window's fixed, you know? Right. And and yeah. so th that's the cool part about 3D printing is you can make virtually anything if, if you know how to use CAD software and can design it. Yeah, that's one of the things I tell people is that 3D printing is great, but if you can learn how to draw, then it opens up a whole new world. And you don't have to be an expert. Yeah. You can learn how to do it. Even these are simple tools. You don't have to... SolidWorks yeah, is great. Yeah, you can use Tinkercad on Google yeah, Tinker or CAD, anything like that. OpenSCAD. Um, right. Uh, I think Lee knows a guy that's an expert with um, the Google SketchUp. 
can do stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's a totally Absolutely. free program. So yeah, that's learning how to draw even simple parts can really open up a wide range for the hobbyist of all kinds of neat stuff you can make. And there are there are guys that are 3D printing entire airplanes. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, I've they, done that. they break them up into like eight inch long There's chunks, and 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 you can. Yeah, and, yeah and, and, and you print the wing in like three pieces per panel and you print a fuselage in like three chunks and you tongue and groove them and you plug <laughs> yeah. them together and you can, yeah. you can leave a, like a, a eight millimeter tubular hole through the center of the wing and put a carbon fiber rod in the wing and there's your spar. You got all the strength you need and, you know, 3d print everything and. The only thing you got to be really, really, really careful of is don't leave them in a hot car because they kind of tend to put <laughs> yeah, in the back of your car yeah. if you do that. Well, we, we had a, a person on the show that designed his own 3D printed aircraft. Uh, I forgot his name. Is um, I'm terrible with names. Who was it, uh, Terry? Eric Haddad. Yeah, we had Haddad. And we had another gentleman who built the uh, Navy plane. He used ABS, of all things. Mm -hmm. uh, and oh, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's his spot? Uh, you to go with names. I forgot his name. Uh, but he We're was designing... apologize on the air right now. <laughs> so we had Eric Haddad, who's uh, here, and we're in West Texas, and he designed some really unusual aircraft. He had a joint wing aircraft that was really funky. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there it is. 3D uh, Aero Ventures. Yeah, 3D Aero Ventures. Great guy to talk to. And these are his own custom designs, and he's got uh, a growing inventory of stuff. Uh, and... And we yeah, like, like he's doing, a lot of guys will sell the STL files to guys with printers and then they print their own or yeah. they will print the plane for you and, you know, sell you all the parts for a hundred bucks or something like that. And then you can put it together yourself if you don't have a printer. Yeah, this is a growing cottage industry of, of all kinds of people are popping up with all kinds of neat designs. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a gentleman, Lee, you were working with some guy in England that had some really neat stuff that he was popping out. So yeah, yeah I, 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 he was doing a bunch of jets. If I, if you're talking about the same guy, uh, he had a whole line of all these cool jet kits that he, you know, 3D printed all the pieces for. That's the one I that printed the 337. So I was his beta. Oh, okay, mm -hmm. the beta tester. <laughs> so um, uh, Terry Lee, you guys got some 3D printing stories? You want to real? You know, was it worth it? And is it all the hype that you thought it would be? Well, I was going to jump in real quick, and I know you're getting $99 Ender 3s, and in fact, that was my first 3D printer. But this is the one I bought my son for Christmas, the S1 Pro. Mm, that's a and nice one. he's very happy with it. He's been printing nonstop. It's driving me crazy. Uh, <laughs> the, the good news is I will say the prints he's shown me look excellent. The direct drive is a great upgrade. Um, so I, I highly recommend that. However, the one... Big problem with this, just to FYI, folks out there, uh, it's it's pretty pricey, but you get quality prints. Mm -hmm. The downside is the hot end fan is super loud, and it's one of the biggest complaints uh, in the user group. So my son is already looking to replace that fan or find a way to slow it down just a little bit so it's not so loud. Uh, but it is extremely noisy fan noise-wise. Uh, although the S1 Pro now has the new chip set, so it's not as... I don't know, say squeaky. I don't know what y'all call. What do you call it, Fitz? What's the... Is it the, the motor drive? So it's not as... Um, yeah, there's, not there's as no motor... Yeah. I can't hear it at all as far as the motor drive noise. It's it's very quiet when it moves. But anyway, he's been very pleased with the S1 Pro. My uh, my Delta's back. <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it was in the game room while he was printing stuff. So now he's thrown it back in my office. So I need to clean mine up and get it back to functioning. I wouldn't yeah. mind printing another 3D praying and, and playing, excuse me, 
And uh, I'm not against doing another 337. Uh, but I've right. got so many other planes on my plate, it's um, it's probably not not right time to do that. However, as far as what Lucian said earlier, is definitely great to print parts. Now, the one thing I, that I always tell people about that are getting into 3D printing, a 3D printer is not like an inkjet printer or a laser printer where all you do is throw paper in it once a month and it prints and prints and prints and prints and prints and prints and prints and, prints and you never have to touch it. 3D printers are more like owning a 1918 Model T car with <laughs> manual ignition and manual timing and manual brakes, and you got to tweak and tune and adjust them and do maintenance on them on a regular basis because if you don't, they quit working. And that's the problem that most people get a bad taste in their mouth about 3D printing is they get them, and, and you start printing with them, and they print like this right out of the box, you know, absolutely pristine, beautiful yeah. prints. And then all of a sudden, about three months later, the thing just goes and, and, and the nozzle clogs or, you know, something happens or your Teflon throat tube burns out. You get a blowout out the side of your hot end or something like that. And then it's like, oh, my God, I mean, I got to take this apart and I got to clean it and I got to put new parts in it. Oh, screw this. And it goes on Facebook Marketplace for 50 bucks. And then, you know, people like us buy them and do the work on them. And now we got another printer for 50 bucks. But <laughs> there is a learning curve with 3D printing and there is maintenance that you have to do on them so you got you you got to take that into account when you get into that yeah, yeah not mine quite hasn't been fired yet. up yeah, i haven't fired mine up in over a year so i'm curious what might have happened in that time <laughs> yeah By the way, if i take our, my headset off right now i probably can hear austin printing something right <laughs> on a quiet night um chris graca is the guest we had on chris graca okay thank you yeah uh so i guess the answer to that is the, the best way is notice how every one of us have multiple printers. Ease, we, we willingly bought more. So I think that's the, big, the biggest uh, vote of confidence in the, in the technology yeah. is that we have multiple ones and we're eager for what comes out next because each one's, it may be a Model T Ford now, but there, there's certainly some out that are generally better. There's Model A Fords now and there's maybe some yeah. Duesenbergs. And, <laughs> and so <laughs> we're working our way up to uh, you yeah. know, 1930s, uh, uh, you know, Chevy or something. They, so they, they do tend to be like Lay's potato chip. Nobody can have just one. You know? <laughs> yes, I, <laughs> you know, I got a harem of them for some reason. I was like, where did I get that? For ones I forgot that I have sometimes. Uh, so yeah, I think that they're definitely worth it. They are a maturing technology, but they've gotten a lot better. The the one I um, was joking with with Terry about that was old printer bot. And it literally was made out of wood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> for a good chunk of it. Yeah, and, and, so, and I, like I've got mine tuned really well. So like I set them up and run them. I will run them for like 500 hours or 600 hours nonstop. Print after print after print after print after print. Never touch them. And then something will happen and you just rebuild the hot end. You put a couple parts in it and then it'll print for 500 hours again. It's, yeah, it's just, yeah. it's like a helicopter, you know, or an airplane. There's routine maintenance. There's 100 hour, 500 hour inspections you got to do on them, replace certain wear parts and, and then they print fine for another 500 hours, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, different companies are variable. I have a sort of a, 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 you know, one of those Chinese clone ones that worked okay, but I think I, if, it, if it's possible to break something, I've broken it on it. Uh, but I also have uh, an actual Prusa, and that thing has been bulletproof. I don't think I've had an ounce of problems mm -hmm. with it so far. So um, they're definitely, and, and software varies too. You know, make sure you do your research, get one with really good software and firmware on it. I mean, it really, really helps you for the newbie. Yeah. Uh, so uh, a friend of mine just got one, a really interesting, I forgot the name of it, but it, um, 
It can hold, I think he said 12 spools, eight or 12 individual spools. And wow. each spool can have an RFID tag so the printer knows which one to use for different colors. So he can use oh, printing multiple colors thing that I've he had designed. I've seen that printer. And it has like a laser leveling system and it's got built-in um, uh, dehumidifier in it. It, it, it. Yeah, it slices, it dices, it, it walks your dog. It's got a built-in camera. It's, it, it, it can detect when your print has failed, apparently. It's, so it's got some sort of image recognition on it. No, it, it calls you. I think it literally it says, will send you a text. Come help me. Yeah, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> it just came out. I forgot the name. It's not one of the big brands. It's some new company. And he's, he's he, if, if it was, it had a finger, he put a ring on it. Because it, <laughs> it's been <laughs> really, really interesting. And, uh, and he's relatively new. He had some, actually had some bad luck with, uh, I forgot what he had. Um, I think it was an Ender. He's, he had some issues with it. But he liked it enough to get something new, and he's been just smitten with it. So stick with it, uh, Michael. Um, I think we all, all four of us have a, a say that it's, it's definitely worth it. It's one of those things that you don't realize you need until you get one, and you realize how awesome it is, especially for a hobbyist. Well, as and, Lucian uh, said, if you can go to Micro Center and pick one up for 99 bucks, that is definitely worth it. 99 bucks, no brainer. I lost Lucian. He'll come back. Well, well, I think yeah. the key is what somebody mentioned earlier. You have to be willing to invest some of the time to learn how to get comfortable with the modeling programs so that you can actually design the things you want to make. Otherwise, it's a, a tool without a purpose. But if you can yeah. Yeah. invest a little time to do that, you're all set. Well, find a friend. See someone who's doing it. That would be yeah, helpful. Yeah. Um, um, but the Ender 3, the Ender 3 is not a bad printer. I had, I've had three um, but I was struggling with them to print my Cessna 337 and I troubleshooted <clears throat> with a lot of people, even including Fitz and Fitz couldn't, you know, understand why I was having this weird problem. Uh, once I got to a certain height on my prints. So I, I switched to a Delta. I don't know if you know what a Delta is, but a Delta has got three arms that feed it and it works its way up. Um, unlike, uh, what is, what is the Creality? What's it called? What's the type of printing? Uh, uh Cartesian. I think Cartesian. Yeah. yeah. So it, you know, the, the, the setup's differently. I like my Delta. I need to overhaul it. I need to give it a good cleaning and yada, yada. Uh, but once I've, once I got used to it and I've had to change the hot end and stuff like that, I am comfortable with it. So there is a bit of a learning curve as Fitz said. Yeah. Uh, one last thing I want to say is if you're thinking about dipping your toes, you're listening to this into 3D printing and you don't want to buy a printer, look up in your city or nearby city, a local maker space or even some libraries. Yeah. Those you can um, either go in either for free or for a very little bit, bit of money, you can use their printers and learn how to use them and see if it's for you. Our, our 14 year old boy with a three, 3D printer. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, the 13 year old neighborhood boy. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, no, just check it out. See if the high schools are doing yeah, something. Yeah, and, some high schools, some uh, community colleges. Community too. colleges, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. I'm nice. lucky. I've got an 18-year-old kid who knows this printer. So <laughs> if I needed something right now, I'd probably just give him the STL file and say, here, could you print He's this built for me? In. Maybe yeah. I'll see you in a couple hours, Dad. <laughs> All right. So I guess while we wait for Lucian to come back, hopefully he can come back and join us. Uh, we want to oh, talk about some something new we said? Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe we can ping him. It's midnight. Uh, ping him by email or something. Uh, so it's New Year's. And I know, Lee, you did some New Year's flying, didn't you? Uh, I did one flight. Uh, okay, well, technically flying, right? I, I did. I, I, <laughs> I got, I got a, yeah, I got a 2022 flight and a 2023 flight in. Uh, it was just my little champ. 
Uh, hold on one second. <laughs> Go ahead, caller. And he's back. <laughs> I don't know what the heck happened. All of a sudden, my computer just hard crashed, and it just went, and everything went blank. So I had to reboot my computer, of all things. Oh, that's okay. Well, you, you didn't miss much. We were just flopping our jaws. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about the uh, first flights of the year or our last flight of last year. And I have a, a nice little Hobby Zone uh, Champ S Plus. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to fly that. I've always enjoyed it. That's a, a plane I put together from parts, which is kind of fun. Just uh, all individual pieces that I got from for spare parts and then uh, got it together. And so that's a nice, relaxing plane. I kind of had a question, um, Lucien, what did you, is there a particular plane you like to fly often? Well, you know, I've got my, my, my part jets that I built. I don't know if you guys remember in RC groups back in the 2005, 2006 time frame, there was a guy named Steve Shoemate oh, yeah. who made all of these like part jets, you know, the F- F-18 and F-15 and F-4. And I was really intrigued by that, but I like bigger airplanes. So I got in touch with Steve and... And I made an arrangement with him, and I got copies of all of his CAD files, and I blew them up like 150, 166, oh, nice. 175%. So I made an F-18, but mine was six feet long with a four-foot wingspan. Um, These are still and It's got like on, right? 950 square inches of wing, and I built it all out of blue core, you know, fan fold stuff. Oh, okay. Okay. So you got this great big airplane that's the size of a ducted fan jet, but it only weighs four pounds. You know, I just hold it out in front of me and open up the throttle and let it go, and it just takes right off out of your hand. <laughs> you know, and it's got a top speed of about 70 miles an hour with a pusher wow. prop in the back, and it just flies like a dream. I haven't flown it in a while. I, I got really heavy into multi-rotors for a long time. And I've I, I've got I've got a bunch of multi rotors, and that's you know where I live. I got a big backyard here with a creek that runs up and down, and I'll get my multi rotors out and I'll run them up and down the creek and stuff. Um, but the other day, like my last flight of the year, you guys were talking about first and last flights. I had an old. Um, my company used to make a line of quadcopter frames called Next Level Multi Rotors, and I've got this like 500 millimeter hex. Uh, uh, quadcopter. It's got six 2213 size motors with nine inch props. I hadn't flown the thing in probably eight years. And it's got a DJI NASA flight controller in it and um, a Spectrum AR6100 receiver, I think. And I grabbed my DX8 radio and I bound it to it and I threw a battery. I said, Man, this thing hasn't flown in 10 years, right? Powered it up, beep, beep, turn it on. Took off, flew perfect, trimmed perfect. I, I was like, amazing. You know, a plane, uh, you know, a, a quadcopter sitting on the shelf for 10 years, pull it out, slap a battery in it, and it flew. I was shocked, you know, that it that, wow. that it that it that it flew, you know. And so, uh, and I, I've got some little, little tiny, you know, little quads that are about this big, and I fly them around in the house and chase the cats with them and stuff like that. <laughs> well, as a motor salesman, the idea of a, a hex multi-rotor is ideal yeah six, six times motors. six times the yeah. fun <laughs> too bad that didn't catch on yeah yeah it's nice when people buy six motors and six speed controllers at a time you know like it's gonna be a nice a nice sale right so speaking of the steve shoemate designs our buddy sparky makes canopies for them so if oh, anybody cool. out there is still building those you can get canopies at park flyer plastics he pulls i don't know uh, about got, the, the big you got a like vacuum forming machine he pulls the canopies out of polycarbonate or something yeah cool awesome yeah Yeah, he's a large one oh cool beans 
Right, so I also had a, I had a, new, a 2023 flight, but that'll come for later conversation. I know that Fitz and I will touch on it. Like, <laughs> oh, not an offline conversation, just later in the show? No, no later in the show. I okay, think okay. I both, can both talk about a 2023 flight. All right. Go so ahead, Terry. I've got uh, a final flight of 2022 that, was, that happened at home. I've mentioned before that the new place has a lake out back. And at least the surface of that lake has appeared frozen for several weeks. But me being a, a southern Florida kid, I, I don't know when to tell that it's safe to walk on the lake. So I was just taking it easy with that. And then sometime last week, I saw some people walking around out there and they were actually ice fishing. I'm like, okay, well, obviously it's safe now. <laughs> um, so on New Year's Eve, the wind was finally calm and the sun was out a little bit. So I took one of my... I'm sure I've talked about it before, but it's a park flyer that looks like a kite. It's based on the old free flight design, the stringless wonder, and it's just the same thing, but made out of um, foam board. I took mm -hmm. that out there with wheels, took off for the ice and flew around for a few minutes and had a good time. It worked perfectly. Cool. And I did not fall through the ice. That's always a good thing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that was my final flight of 2022. And then for my first flight of 2023, um, I was actually invited to an indoor event. So um, I'm sure you guys have talked with, or at least emailed with Craig Sigmund. Uh, he is a listener of the show. So we've interacted for a while. I finally met him in person. He lives in Appleton, which is not too far from here. And he invited me and a group of other people to this indoor event at one of the high schools in Appleton in their gym. So I went down there and we flew uh, UMX planes or just UM planes for a few hours on New Year's Day. And we had a good old time doing it. And that is where my handle from today comes from. One of the planes that I took was my UMX Parallax, which is, I don't know, like a 20-inch span version of the Parallax using guts. I think it was out of a, one of the UMX pits or the Beast, one of those things. And the space we're flying in is a single basketball court gym which appears pretty big when you're looking at it from the edge. It dramatically shrinks as soon as you launch a brushless-powered airplane. And so <laughs> it was just just barely big enough for this parallax. But I was flying around, and it was fine. And I decided I was going to show off how well it knife edges on the one side. And so I did one pass. I had to go from corner to corner just to have enough airspace to set it up. So I did one pass, and I didn't quite get it going. I'm like, All right, well, let me get deeper into the corner and try this again. And on the second try, I stuck with it too long. And then I got to the opposite corner with no way out. And then I just started throwing the sticks around. And I'm embarrassed to say I put myself in a position where I completely lost control of this airplane. I got behind it. And next thing I knew, it was heading for all the pilots. We were standing in a line against this wall. It was heading towards all of us. And I like to think that I consciously flew it at me purposely, but it might have just been lucky. But it hit me. I hit myself in the arm with my own airplane. And I'm fine. The airplane's very fixable. It just busted the firewall off. So it wasn't as dramatic as it felt. But it was embarrassing. I'll tell you that. But was it entertaining? Did people, like, cheer and laugh and pat you on the back? That was uh, great. No, I think they sensed my embarrassment and they encouraged me afterwards. And, you know, they offered to help me clean up the blood. But, uh, <laughs> so uh, they invited you back then. Uh, well, I don't know. We'll see. That remains <laughs> That's to be a big seen. test. <laughs> yeah. 
But uh, I had a really good time that day. Fitz, I flew that uh, old B-17 that you gave me. Remember that oh, yeah. micro B-17? Yeah, Everybody yeah. loves that thing, and it flies great. And I don't know if I told you, I upgraded it. I forget what battery they originally had for it, like a 250 LiPo. And it was a little bit tail heavy with that. So I've got yeah, a little bit yeah. of lead in the nose, maybe an eighth of an ounce. But I upgraded it to a 260 high-voltage LiPo. And the difference with the high voltage is, what, 0.15 volts more. But it really makes a difference in the performance of the airplane. Yeah, I think it was mm -hmm. such on the edge that that, that little bit of a, a tenth of a volt or whatever really was noticeable. Yeah, that airplane cruises nicely now at three-quarter throttle. Below that, you yeah. can see the tail start to get mushy. and But once you yeah. get it up on step, it's a great airplane and touch and goes all day long. So that was a lot of fun. And uh, we all traded transmitters around. We flew, everybody flew everybody else's airplanes. It was a good time. So thank you, Craig and company, for inviting me out. I hope you'll invite me back. <laughs> there was a radio program when I was a kid called Craig and Company. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When he said that, I was like, <laughs> a whole bunch of flashbacks. Anyways. I think I'm more uh, shocked that you listened to a radio program. Did you hey, sit by the fireplace? It was a, yeah, a little I was, I was orphan young. Annie decoder. I was a kid, and well, it was, it was like a pop forty type radio station, but it had a morning huh. show. It was actually pretty good. It was a pretty good show when I was a kid. But anyways, but, uh, all right. Uh, well, if anybody else has New Year's Day stories, you can tell those. But we need to circle back to my New Year's Day experience because I brought home things that I didn't leave with, and I think you guys will be impressed. <laughs> always good to have so, more acquisitions. Uh, always. So, Fitz, do you have New Year's flying stories? I didn't fly New Year's. The weather was bleh. Uh, I flew a bit uh, New Year's Eve on that Saturday, if I remember correctly. And that was the main flight of the Minamoa. Oh, when right. I finally finished. Yeah. And what Minamoa, did you launch with? Uh, high Start. Okay. That fancy High Start that uh, I got from Lee. I finally put that thing together. Um, from Sky, Sky Bench? Yeah, Sky Bench, yep. right? Sky yeah, yeah. Worked really well. Um, you know, it was a little, little bit of butterflies flying a new plane, and we gave it a couple of hand launches to see if, if anything was way out of whack. Mm -hmm. And then I gave it a couple of a light bungee launches and a little heavier one. Uh, the That's the thing with a high start, right? Once you yeah. let go of that thing, it's going somewhere. It's going somewhere. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure that it wasn't going where I didn't want it to go. In fact, I had a little bit of a scare. Uh, one of the launches, uh, the, the line didn't come off or it wasn't coming off. And I'm like, you know, trying to get the, the thing off. And I was like, I'm really worried he's going to pull the nose back down to the ground. So I did a 180 and ended up landing with it. And as soon as I touch down, the thing comes off. It's like, oh, <laughs> 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 gee, thanks. Uh, <laughs> Remind so, me how but, big this airplane is? Uh, 109 inches wingspan, if I remember correctly, something like that. It's not, not terribly big. In fact, it's slightly behind me here. You can see it, the red nose. Mm, and the, okay, yeah, there it is. Um, if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, and so it's pretty neat. It's, uh, I really need to fly it some more. Um, the weather was still kind of bleh. I was trying to get some pictures of it, and it just, I, I don't think I really got any good pictures. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, yeah, so that was, that was my big thing, big maiden for New Year's, at the top off the, the year. All right, so successful maiden. Yes, it was successful. Yeah, very much so. All right, good. How much does that thing weigh? It's either 58 or 68 ounces. Oh, so wing loading is nothing over nothing. Yeah, it's pretty light. I did have to add a bunch of weight in the nose to get the balance, but you know, even with mm. that, it's still, you know, 
it's, it's still pretty good. It's got some snazzy spoilers on it, which work pretty good. All right, nice. You've got a lot yeah. of time in that thing. Yeah, it, it took me longer to build. It, it, it was very intricate construction on that thing. Uh, the ribs were like somebody took a real plane and scaled them down with all the laser cutting. I ended up breaking a few, putting the thing together and sanding it and that kind of stuff. But it'll all be in my report, which all I'm right. working on writing up. Compare that build to the Leprechaun. Which one took you more time? Oh, this one by far. The Leprechaun is bigger, but it's actually, it has probably a third as amount of as many pieces to it. Well, the Leprechaun that, has square corners. The Leprechaun, yeah, it's just basically a bunch of sticks. Um, this, the uh, Minamoa, has fully sheeted compounded curve fuselage and lots of sheeting on the tail and then the main wings, and it's got a triangular spar in the outer wing tip. It's got that uh, gull wing that has to be worked with. So it's just a lot of little things to really get it together. So it just it took quite a bit of time. Right. Was it tough to cover the fuselage with all those compound curves? Uh, yes and no. Um, the tail section wasn't as bad as I thought, but the nose took me a lot of working to do it. Um, really, uh, I use ultra cold, so it's like stretching and heating and stretching and heating and stretching and heating and stretching and stretching. And swearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then and I got to the nose, I realized, you know, I should have covered the nose in red and not the, all the other colors. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just paint it. And I, believe it or not, I found some Rust-Oleum paint that is almost a perfect color match for the red uh, Monaco, uh, Ultra Coat. So I just um, uh, cleaned it up, scuffed it up, put some Scotch-Brite and uh, um, masked it off and painted it. So it came out pretty good. But yeah, the, the nice. toughest part was the, the nose. Uh, but, but plus, and building the nose too, because it's all planked. Okay. It wasn't, so I had to put a bunch of planks on the nose and get that um, glued in and filled and sanded and then covered it. And, and uh, But, you know, I was able to do it with just um, two halves on the nose, on the left and right side, mm. for the most part. I think it was oh, a little nice. bit of a top. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised how much I could have, I could stretch and get pretty wrinkle-free on the nose. So, yeah, yeah okay. it, was, it was a bit of a chore to cover, but it, yeah. it is what But it, it feels good to have that one behind you. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was taken. You know, I'd take it off of work just so I can, you know, for a week between New Year's and Christmas, just so I can work on this thing. And I, and I figured, it's like, ah, oh, it'll take me a couple of days of all day working and then I can go on to some other project. No, no. it took me, I was literally, the glue was still drying on that Friday <laughs> for some things. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> If I recall, you've got a hook in the bottom for the high start, and you've got a yes. toe release in the nose? There is a toe release in the nose. I haven't used that yet, but it has a servo-actuated toe release in the nose. So we can we can tow it up. It's got a wheel on it, so it's ready to be towed with something. Have you decided on what that something is? I have not. Maybe like one of those big uh, carbon cubs? You got one, Lee. Uh, well, yeah, Lee said, uh, we talked about it before. Lee, you have, uh, was it Orca or something? Or you have the... Orca, Orca could do it. Yeah. I could do it with but my shoot. shock cub, too. That's exactly what I was going to say. Let's do the shock cub, man. Yeah, okay. shock cub would do really well. All right. In fact, it, shock it. cub already has a toe release on it. There you go. Yeah. I'll fly the shock cub. <laughs> <laughs> I was at, a, I was at sure. a fun fly one time, and... Um, Guy had like a two meter, you know, like a gentle lady glide or something like that. And they go, "Hey, let's 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 do this real quick. Let's get let's get a helicopter and we'll just lift the glider up, and then um, we'll uh, 
he had a servo release pin in the top of the plane. Let's just release the uh, plane and then we'll fly it down. So this this guy uh, volunteers to use his big, you know, uh, you know, uh, 700 class electric helicopter, and he he's got about oh I don't know maybe 50 feet of about 30 pound monofilament fishing line, and they tie it to the skids of the helicopter, and the helicopter takes off and picks this glider up you know, about 200 feet, and then the guy hits the release button, and uh, the glider drops and starts gliding, and one thing they didn't compensate for is how much monofilament line stretches with that much weight on it, and that line retracted and went oh, up and got all wound up in the rotor head of the helicopter, and he just went, <laughs> and it fell out of the sky from about 400 feet up. Oh, <laughs> like a no rock, good deed it? goes unpunished. Yeah, it's like, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I think, Terry, I want to say one time when we did an aerotow, we didn't release. So didn't you and I land together? Didn't we have a flight where we couldn't release either plane and we landed? Um, we've done flights where we both released and we couldn't find the tow rope. We've done aerobatics under tow. Oh, yeah, that's you doing rolls on a on a mm. launch. We may have landed together. I don't remember. It doesn't seem too far-fetched. We got pretty comfortable with towing that easy glider at one point. Yeah, so, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, I haven't done I've that still in a got while. Mine. Yeah, I've still got mine. So, yeah, I, you're probably right, but I don't remember that specifically. So, but speaking of helicopters, are you ready to hear about my new toys? Sure, sure. Okay, so is this show and tell? It is show and tell. So make okay, sure so that we're adequately describing this for people driving in their car. That's your job. All right, so. At the event in Appleton that I went to, the indoor flying event, I met Craig in the parking lot. He said, before we go inside, come here, i got something for you. So he handed me a couple bags of things. I'm going to show you those hey, things. Hey, buddy. <laughs> I got some stuff for you. Terry's good at meeting people in weird places for stuff. All right, so here's the first one. And Fitz, I think you're going to enjoy this. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Yeah, Cox Air Cobra um, Yeah, I don't know what it's yeah. called, but it's a free flight helicopter from Cox. It's got an 049 on the top, and then the large blades that counter rotate yeah. for that. So it needs a little bit of work. The engine is seized, um, but everything seems to be here. Even the stickers are here. Um, everything moves. So I think it's just a matter of ungumming the engine and uh, mm -hmm. getting that running, and we'll have ourselves a free flight cool. Apache. Cup I remember when those Windex and you're set. When those things came out, I remember, and I was I was just a poor kid. I couldn't afford one, so I scratch built one of those things. I bent music yeah. wire and I made blades and made a profile jet ranger fuselage and put a Cox engine, and the dang thing actually worked. It flew. Wow, away. nice. <laughs> so interestingly, the the pitch of the big blades is they float. It's not fixed. They've got a counterbalance on the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they just rotate. I guess they stop yeah. at some point, but yeah. Mm -hmm. so yeah, pretty interesting thing. So Terry, yes. I have one of those. Do you? Yeah, same 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 exact model. Have you I, flown I, it? I flew it a few times at um, um, uh, small steps. Small. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Is a this couple the words. One? Of, go ahead. Uh, what's the one that gets all out of sorts? Was that the UFO? The UFO or the does. Helicopter? Okay. Uh, no, usually it's the UFO will we'll get kind of wobbly if you don't launch it right. Uh, but okay. a, a word of caution with that, until you know how it performs, don't fill up the tank 
and run right. a little touch on the rich side because <laughs> they will go yeah. out of sight. If they lean out with a full tank, it will, it will, it will head for the moon. Really? Yeah. yeah. The tank on here is pretty small, but I, uh, I will keep that in mind. I almost never fill it up. <laughs> Tied to a fishing rod. <laughs> oh, it's interesting. I just noticed that it's a centrifugal pickup. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, the tank, the bottom of the tank is slanted, so the fuel goes towards the pickup. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and I was thinking about this, Fitz, because you're pretty good at fixing up the U49 engines. Um, yeah. And I know nothing about that. So maybe we could get together online one day and you could talk me through the crockpot steps and whatever it is of re reviving an U49. Ooh, I make sense, that a how-to video. I sense a live hobby view show. Right, that's what I'm talking about. Because to me, it's more—it's oh, yeah. okay. easier to tell somebody over video than it is to just spout out the steps yeah. by yourself. Yeah. So let's keep that in mind for this. And I've got sure. a handful of 049. Yeah, sounds like a plan. So, okay, but that's not all. But wait, but there's, wait more. there's more. Explosion. <laughs> How much would you pay? All right, so here's—I've got three bags of stuff. Oh wow. I'll try to keep it quick. Um, how about this? Oh, yeah. A little cox. Oh, uh, my gosh. Sing, oh, single one channel. channel. Yeah. yeah, single channel. And I think it was for an airboat, something like that. Mm, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't intend to use it, but it's just uh, it's pretty neat and nostalgic. What's it called? Make a nice shelf queen. Yeah. Gator, Gator checklist. checklist. <laughs> yeah. Did you so, of course, there was no throttle. It was just a rudder control. And uh, then a couple uh, glow plug. Or glow head. Oh, is the the twin C or Clips. D size battery for that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, glow igniters. I've got one of those. Yeah. A couple of D batteries in parallel. Yep, yeah, right. Yeah, and they're parallel see. probably. Um, where is it here? There's another uh, engine here somewhere. If he pulls out a Cox 010, we're just gonna have to. Pitch oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a, a like two of them, new in box. All right, so that's enough for that one. This other bag has a yellow aircraft F-18 in it. Oh. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, so on this one, I've got all the parts here, but they're a little bit connected. I did not realize that this existed, but here's another Cox plane. It looks like a cosmic wind, but it's oh, in some yeah. fantasy. No, I think it's a midget racer. Yeah, that's oh, what I think it is. Yeah, a little quarter midget. Cosmic wind was. Yeah, but it looks a little quarter midget control here. line. Yeah. The, the flight lines are tangled around everything. Does it have the engine? Oh, just cut those off. <laughs> Free flight? <laughs> no, just cut those off. Put, put in the new... Uh... Yeah, put new lines on it. Oh, yeah. I see what you're yeah, saying. They're okay. fuel-soaked. Everything's fuel-soaked yeah. and sticky. So there is an engine in the bag, but I don't think this baby is the one for it. It has no head either. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you can get heads. Yeah, and the one should have a tank. Here. The one, the one yeah, this not, one yeah, like I that. think is yeah. the one that goes Yeah, that's the that's, one that would go in it. Yeah. And yeah. So I think it's all here. It just needs to be gussied up and put together. And the wing is here. Uh -huh. it, it all seems to be in pretty darn good shape. It's just sticky and old. Yeah. Oh, it's got oh, yeah. all old, old dried out castor oil all over exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so do my fingers. But even the stickers are still in place. So... Really yeah. cool airplane, and um, I think just like the helicopter, a little bit of cleanup to loosen up the engine, and then some simple green on the airplane. Yep, it'll be ready to go. Cool. 
So thank you, Craig. Um, I don't know when I'll get these going, but I fully intend to get these going. Thank you. Cool stuff. And Fitz, I've already got some half a fuel from you. So I'm, I was going to ask if you still had some. Yeah. Yep. yeah I, I remember when I was a kid at, at Kmart's, you know, back in the um, early 70s, they sold these testers. They had like a little P-40 Warhawk and a P-51 little testers kit, little control right. line airplane that had the, you know, little testers glow engine on it. It came with a pint of fuel and everything. They were like, yep. I don't know, 20 bucks or something like that. And I yep. discovered on mine, I was flying it one time and it ran out of gas. And I, I started like leading it and whipping it around the circle, you know. And I kept flying for about three or four more minutes doing that. And I said, well, heck, who needs glow fuel? I took the prop <laughs> off and I would just, I would start with the, I'd, I'd pull the lines out and I'd start with them real close in and I'd start swinging it around. I'd let the lines slide out of my hand until I got to the handle and I just whipped that thing around because it only flew on like 20 foot lines and i i'd fly all day without even having the engine running you were puking your guts out after that <laughs> i used to do a similar thing with my plastic models mm -hmm. i would tether them with a single line and i would balance them so the cg was fairly and then close. spin them around yeah, in a yeah, circle just them around. i and of used course to do the that first too. time you try to land all the landing gear and all the ordnance goes <laughs> flying but yeah. you get one good flight out of them yeah for sure so. All right, so that was my show and tell. Um, cool. I think I told Craig thank you a few times, but mm -hmm. for the last time. Thank you, Craig, but I do appreciate it. Now, to a more somber note. Um, do you guys want to talk about Clarence Lee? Cool. I guess. I, do I don't, more show and tell? Well, no, I'm done with show and tell. I don't know if anybody else has it. Fitz, do you have a show and tell? Not really. Oh, well, I was going to show and tell. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. oh. twatter. Well, I guess I could. It's right here, too. Yay. With floats. Well, that's a little baby go. one. Yeah. yeah. So on our last show, we talked about the release of the UMX Twin Otter. And now both Lee and Fitz have Twin Otters in their grubby little hands. He's got his floats. <laughs> Inverted. <laughs> Uh, I got to fly. That was the, I didn't mention it cause I was waiting for, uh, Fitz and I to do our little show and tell. Um, uh, but that was the second plane I flew for new year's cause that was my Christmas present for my wife. I mentioned it on the previous podcast. I was crossing my fingers. So my wife did get me the, uh, the twin otter and I, I will humbly say I am still zero for three on landing. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it, but not you know, mad because I will tell you that just goes to show you how well this landing gear is, but this thing does not float by any means. So you really have to have your hands on the sticks when this thing's landing. Cause it, it pretty much drops like a rock. There's no flare. And so my last three flights have not been successful, which is why I go back to my champ S plus or any other high wing plane that I have to, to go land and feel better about myself. Uh, but it is a joy to fly. I mean, I really have enjoyed uh, the heck out of it. And I can't wait to put floats on it. Well, you're a good pilot, so I'm surprised to hear you say that. I, I am too. I'm disappointed in myself. But uh, but Fitz, you said you had a similar problem, right? Well, yeah, the first couple of landings were a little inelegant. But um, basically, you just fly it in, and, and you can do a pretty good land out. The last, I had one or two that were really nice. If you do it just right, you can sort of balance it on the back wheels. 
a little bit. And uh, uh, so I, well, I had to say though. So I mean, this is my excuse. I'm in a cul-de-sac, and so my landings have been in turns. Ah, so okay. I don't have this long runway. You know, I'm not running, flying down a street. I'm having to make coming right at me and then turn at the last second and and cut across. Now that being said, I can fly my other planes pretty well. So this one just it's going to take me a little while. So if you get one, I'll I'll say be cautious about the landings. But as far as the, I am shocked at the amount of power that one S battery provides. Yeah, it does really well. It does it really good. Flies really good. And you get a good run it time a lot out of it too. Yeah. yeah. Are you using the 800 or 500 size? I, I'm using a 900. Nine, I actually oh. had some other batteries. Yeah. Wow. So uh, it, it's been it's been good. Oh, so yeah. Nice, did good. Good job. Nice little UMX plane. So Fitz, I was curious. I watched your video where you're flying it off the puddle up there at JSC. Yeah. In the end, it's nose in. <laughs> that was not a graceful landing. Did you no, damage it? I, no, no, I didn't hurt it. Uh, best I can tell is I stalled it. It was inverted, and then I did an outside loop, and I think I just didn't have enough, th didn't really throttle up long enough to kind of make it all the way over because it kind of came all over and then kind of flopped down. If you notice, it kind of hit, went nose down, and I was in the process of pulling out when it hit the tall grass, so I, I think I just stalled it when I did an outside loop, half loop with it. But it did, I just picked it back up and flew it again immediately after. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. The, the, the differential thrust works really good on the water. <laughs> it looks really, really good. And uh, cool. the floats didn't seem to make a huge difference. A little more throttle needed to fly around. But uh, um, if anything, I, though I think the CG changed slightly. I wanted to tweak it. I never got a chance to. But I think it, uh, uh, it flew fine. But I think the CG might have been moved back slightly with the floats. But we'll see. Well, you know, as the uh, battery discharges, the CG shifts back a little. Oh, yeah, those electrons. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, what you need to do is have the battery eject and see if you can fly back down with the, uh, <laughs> with the generator. Yeah, two generators now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 500 oh, volts. <laughs> and I should note the lights work pretty good when I was flying in sort of a misty morning. It was foggy a bit. And uh, uh, so um, the lights were really, really neat. And yeah, you're showing, we're showing a video of me flying it now. And it's, it's a fun little guy. It's pretty aerobatic. Uh, it's quite aerobatic, actually. Does, now, does... my joke, my running joke is I need to have people do this. Watch his video and then count how many times you hear Fitz chuckling. Because he's, he's like, <laughs> hit, 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 hit. I mean, he, he's having such a blast flying it. And it just made me laugh. Every time he did a loop or something, he'd go, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> now, does that thing have like little brushed pager motors in it? Or does it have little mini brushless motors in it? Mini brushless. Wow, that's cool. So, no, it's funny. You brought that up a second ago, Lee, about if the battery comes out. And I thought about it for a second. This is a situation where the flight battery is actually a lower voltage than what the radio used. Mm -hmm. So it's stepping up the voltage. Yeah. So, so yeah, I don't think you'd have much luck um, if the battery fell out on this one. For some reason. <laughs> that one in general. Well, and it weighs a couple of ounces, so. Yeah, the yeah. terminal velocity like, is going to be yeah. pretty. It's got, like, no momentum. <laughs> so let's let's check out this landing. Let's see how he does. Or is this a flyby? That's a flyby. There's, there's another landing. And I had fun, too, trying to experimenting with the differential thrust, trying to get it to do, do some pinwheels and spins and stuff, and experimenting with that. 
It, it seemed to like if you enter them with a lower throttle and then throttle up and spin it. Uh, this this may be a landing. Here we go. Let's see how it goes. You, just imagine me landing beautifully yeah. with a perfect That's touchdown. One, uh, one dance, two, two one more. Uh, the then back over the air. Now he has to go around. No, I'll just play <laughs> around with it. <laughs> I know. I Watch the kidding. full video. You can see the uh, my beautiful greaser landings later. Yeah, but uh, yeah, nice. that, uh, that we we talked about it in the show. I think last show we talked about this plane and we we're great we're happy to finally get in our grubby little hands and fly around a bit and that, that did really well well i told you guys if you both got one that i would so i'm now on the hook to buy one and we can do a three view yes you oh, are yeah i'll hold right, it I have, one, I have one more show and tell okay and i'm going to go full screen for me switch all right fitz this is for you this for those of you listening to the podcast, you're going to have to watch. But uh, Imagine I have a present time. for Fitz. Ah, cool. Affirmative. <laughs> so I'll give you a quick a little uh, story, guys, uh, for my family Christmas holiday. And I'm wearing my favorite hat, Breckenridge, Colorado. Took my kids to go skiing. Wife and I did some shopping. And while we were in a jewelry store, Austin saw this and said, we have to get this for Fitz. <laughs> this is this. Do, what do they call it? it like, it's like a trench. What do they call it? Like trench models or something like that? This really yeah. is what it feels like. It's got little nuts. <laughs> but we saw this. I called Fitz immediately, sent him a picture. I said, do you want this? And I think Fitz's answer was now. Get it now. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually got one of those that is uh, Yoda. And I have another one that's R2-D2 and C-3PO that I got Ooh, for nice. Christmas gifts that are really cool. They're the, the same style made out of like you know, motorcycle parts and welded together and stuff. Yeah. I don't know this, the background. They were on sale. There's a whole bunch of these little metal things. Yeah. By the way, for if we hadn't mentioned, this is a model of K9 from Doctor Who. And Fitz, if you are not familiar, Fitz has a full-scale running robot K9 dog, RC K9 dog. And I think this will go well with that. So I, you know, Merry Christmas, Fitz, and... Thankfully, my kids kept their eyes open because we could have missed that. <laughs> Eagle-eyed kids. Yeah, I owe yeah. one. <laughs> you do. You owe them one. That's I definitely for one. sure. So that's my so show and tell. But yeah, we had a great time. In and I, I was going to add a little note here. So we took game, went, went skiing, been to Breckenridge before. Austin brought his uh, timber, UMX timber. And uh, we learned the... Um, the equation of density altitude <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because boy, we were on the slope that they, the slope was closed. So we weren't near anybody and he was running pretty much full throttle. It was like, dad is taking everything I can to keep this in the air. And our battery life was in half and it LVC pretty darn quick, but back. we did it. That's all that mattered. We got out there. We brought the plane with us all the way to Colorado. He flew, we landed. I, I did that one time. I took up when we went to a family reunion back in uh, Alamosa, uh, Colorado, uh, where the, uh, where it's at 7,800 feet. And I brought a plane with me to fly. And I mean, it felt like the, like the, like the bottom just fell out of it. I mean, it was, th there was like no air density at all up there. And, and you know what I was, what was neat for me, and this is this little educational part is here I am talking with my son. We're, we're doing this together and he's experiencing this. And this is a lesson that many people die who don't understand density oh, yeah. altitude when they're flying full-scale aircraft into the mountain regions or something like this and to me this is like a perfect training moment to take someone to you know on 
take them to sea level, <laughs> fly in Houston, go to JSC, fly an airplane in the JSC, now go travel, travel to Colorado, go to 8,000 feet and try to fly the same aircraft. And then you can get a sense of the struggle you're going to have. Yeah. And, you know, you're really hoping with the cold weather, it would have improved a little bit because, you know, that does help. But man, um, he's not, he wasn't kidding because you could just see him dragging through the sky. So. Wait a second, Lee. Are you saying that RC is a useful learning tool for kids who are interested in STEM or maybe aviation careers? I know I might be the only person who's ever suggested that, but hear me out. <laughs> I'm from the FAA, and I don't buy it. <laughs> yeah. so I just, weak. I just wonder. I because I, I think I reached out to Terry, and and I was asking somebody else, has there ever been an article in either Model Aviation or any other aviation hobbyist magazine that has addressed density altitude? Now you've got people who live in these regions, and they don't care. They they fly and they're pre- perfectly content. But I wonder if those guys come down to sea level and fly and, you know, have a totally different, um, what do you call it, reaction or, or flight performance and, and have said something about it. But it is, it was very interesting. Uh, and it was just neat to see Austin accepting that, going, oh, yeah, this is a definitely different location. So I, I hope that helps him on his uh, career path for uh, aviation engineering. Cool. Well, on a biological standpoint, um, I used, early in my engineering career, I worked with a guy who his job during the Apollo era was to go around and set up the radio relay stations around the world because they didn't have the satellites that we do now that they had to go from ground station to ground station to stay in contact. And one of the stations he worked at, I forget where it was, maybe it was in Peru or something, but it was set way up, like ten or 12,000 feet. And that's where he stayed for months at a time. But he said when he came down to sea level to do whatever he needed to do, to go buy more bananas or something, he said he felt like Superman. Like he could, Super oxygen. Yeah. yeah. He, he suddenly he could swim like he was in the Olympics and he could run all day long. I could carry this crate of bananas. Yeah, he acclimated yeah. himself to almost, you know, to much less oxygen. And then, yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard that, um, uh, like, um, uh, Olympic trainees will do that. They'll go up to the mountains yeah. to train. Well, the Olympic Training Center is in Colorado Springs. What's yeah. the altitude there? It's about 5,500, 6,000 feet, somewhere around there. Uh, yeah, that's something. Well, uh, I got to tell you guys, this is on kind of on the same topic. Uh, we took our little O2 sensor with us to Colorado uh, just because I had had some breathing issues prior. And so oh, I, the one, I bought the one, one you of clip these on your finger. Yeah, yeah. So. We took it to Colorado, and I was not planning on skiing. I knew I was not in really great shape to do it. So the kids, you know, it was their day. And uh, my wife and I were both checking our two, and mine was 88. Ooh, and that's, that's pretty, low. pretty low. But, of yeah. course, I'm at 8,000 feet. But 88 is pretty low. Now, I was struggling a little bit. You know, and I get back to Houston, I'm back up to 96. You know, <laughs> it's like if, now yeah. I just want to say I got sick after I got home. So it had I got the COVID while I was in Colorado with an 88, I'm pretty sure that would have gone to 80 and things would have hit the fan. <laughs> so, but I digress. Maybe we could have this topic. We could try to find some clubs that you know, are over 5,000 feet in altitude and can share us their stories. Well, when I lived in Lubbock, that was at 3,200 feet and it wasn't a huge difference, but I noticed that in most applications, I was on the upper end of the recommended propeller mm-hmm. range. To yeah. get the, the power. Yeah. Uh, you lose about 3% of air density for every 1,000 feet you go up. Oh, okay. 
I, I, I'm a commercial multi-engine pilot with flight instructor certificates and that kind of stuff. So I've flown in high density altitude situations with real aircraft before, and it is not fun. You know, uh, I almost, I almost lost it one time. Um, I almost flew through a set of power lines coming out of the Enrico Fermi power plant because I just had no climb in my airplane. Uh, yeah, oh, I, I mean, I, I could feel the static discharge in my butt as I flew over the power lines. I was that oh. close to it. So, um, yeah. I charged my battery while I was flying <laughs> yeah. over there. Yeah. So, um, of charging, yeah. Yeah, and that's one thing that they drill home when you're getting a pilot's license is, you know, you got to study the density, density altitude. altitude charts. Because you can have an airplane that's got an 800 foot per minute rate of climb at sea level, and you get up at a certain density altitude, and it drops to like 150 feet a minute. And when you're only climbing at like a f- two and a half feet per second, it takes a long time to get over a hundred foot obstacle. I was gonna say that hill comes at you really <laughs> it quick. Does. It does. So yeah, you got to take. And I, I talk to customers all the time that call me for power system recommendations. You know, and they'll say, "Hey, well, I'm in Denver," and I go, "Oh, well, that makes a whole different story because when you're up at that altitude, right off the bat, you've lost twenty percent of the available thrust from your motor." Because you, you lose 3% for every 1,000 feet you go up. So if you're at 6,500 feet, you've lost 20%. And so the way we compensate by that, you know, is instead of running like a 12, you know, 12.6 prop, you'd run maybe a 12.8 or, you'll, you know, or instead of a 12.6, you run like a 13.6 and a half. And it pulls the same current as a 12.6 would at sea level and makes about the same amount of thrust. But you just got to move more air because it's so much thinner. Would you just inc- would you also have the option just to change the KV higher KV motor? You can um, you can go with a higher KV motor and use the same prop and your current you know will be down. Uh, you know the the motor makes you know the the power output of the motor is about twenty percent lower because the air is twenty percent thinner and that's that's the drag on the prop that makes the motor pull current. So uh, a lot of times you know guys will have to compensate you know for altitude. And another thing guys will do if they're scratch building an airplane, they'll add a couple of extra bays to the wing to give them a little bit more wing area and then go up, you know, one size in the motor to compensate for it. And then, they, you know, if you build them like that, then they still fly well at altitude. Makes yeah, sense. It kind of reminded me of the uh, the helicopter on Mars, right? The Mars has, what, like 1% oh, yeah. of Earth's atmosphere or something like that? Yeah. So it's amazing that they can get something to fly. I can't, I can't only believe, imagine how many RPMs I think has to spin. The, the, the well, it's, lift, it's four, they're four foot, four foot diameter props. If I'm, I'm is it that yeah, big? And, and, really? and they're okay. about four yeah. inches wide at the root, you know. And yeah. They test flew them in a gigantic vacuum chamber vacuum. where they yeah. where they set the they set the air pressure from like fourteen point seven pounds per square inch down to like point three pounds per square inch, which is what the what the effective air density is on Mars and made sure it would fly under those conditions. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. All right. Physics so, kid. Right. But we started to talk about Clarence Lee a few minutes ago. Uh, we should pick yeah. that up now. Um, I don't know much about him. I just know he's famous for his work in the model engine field, but I, I can't give his obituary. Well, he was a prolific writer for RC modeler magazine and did the engine column for decades, you know, back back in the day, you know, back in the seventies and eighties and stuff. And he was yeah, it's called very, engine clinic. He was very well known for taking the K and B series of engines and 
and porting and polishing and tuning and making the Clarence Lee special edition version of these motors and and uh, really make them perform well. So, you know, that's kind of what he was known for was his uh, uh, ability to really tune those engines and, and make them put out way more power than they did stock. Yeah, I remember he's, reading he's his like column. the glow engine whisperer. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. So he was in his 90s. I forget his exact age, but he and his right. wife died in the same week, apparently due to a, an accident in their home. That's unfortunate. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's a member of the AMA Hall of Fame. So there are some oh. documents there. We'll add these. Oh, There's yeah, Lee. Great. So yeah, we'll so. make sure to include the link to the biography. Oh, look at that. He said, design the first, scroll up, design the first 45 size engine uh, for rail control use. Oh, the first Lee 45. Okay, I guess it's named after him. The Vico? It says Lee 45. Is that, oh, okay. Was that the first 45 in, at all, or just one name called the Lee? Uh, probably just the Lee. Uh. But yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, he'd, he'd been out for a while. I think they said he hadn't ridden for like model aviation for eight years. So, but I'm sure he's been kept busy with his friends and, and so forth. And, you know, want to send out our condolences to the family. I mean, it was definitely sounds like it was an unfortunate accident. But I do have somewhere in my collection his book on, you know, engine performance. Because mm -hmm. I think a lot of us who were just wanting to throw their glow engines out the, <laughs> out the window, <laughs> guilty. I got to tell you, I've, K and B and Fox Motors were not my friends. Oh, Fox. Uh, until, oh. until OS came around, <laughs> I was very an angry, very angry glow engine pilot. Uh, but my OSs have been very uh, nice in my Sato. But uh, I digress. Uh, just I, I know that a lot of people uh, followed him and as... Uh, one of them here, it says, uh, one of his best control line endeavors was placing third in precision aerobatics in 1955. So pretty sure that a control line was very popular for his stuff, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, let's see. What else do we have on our list here? Oh, uh, Lee, maybe you're the best person to talk about this. Um, the rumors of Sig's death have been greatly exaggerated. They were. Uh, so Herb Rizzo is the owner of SIG and many, I don't know if we talked about it on our podcast, but we were trying to get the new owners of SIG several years ago on our podcast and we had sent out requests and they sounded as if they wanted to come on because we knew that you know, we wanted to keep SIG in business and it just, we never got responses uh, for after a while, just uh, the mess messages were just never returned. So uh, we weren't sure what was going on with SIG. And when SIG Hazel turned 100 and, excuse me, Hazel SIG, I apologize. Um, and Jay Smith went to go visit her. Um, we were concerned what was happening. So it turns out that um, Herb has bought back the company from those who unfortunately didn't resurrect it. And he's moving it to Illinois. So SIG is still in business. And I think it's for those of you listening, for those of you watching, if you are a diehard hobbyist like we are and you've had four or five SIG planes like I have, uh, let's keep them in business. They do good stuff. They keep our hobby alive. Uh, good, warm, fuzzy. It's kind of like that Cox PT-19 back there. You know, it's. I'm sure there's a SIG plane on like another. I'll probably get me another four star 40 someday. So definitely something you want to get back and build and, and enjoy that moment. So. 
you know, the PT-19 is the same thing. I'm sure people would love to get their hands on one and go fly control line again. And yeah. I still have my SIG Twister that I'm working on, so. I think the second plane I ever kit I ever built was a SIG Hummer, as a matter of fact. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I built a SIG Cadet. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. my God, back in about 1976. And uh, that was one of my first RC planes. That was one of the first glow engine planes I flew was a SIG Cadet. Cool. So the good news is they're still in business. Uh, you can still go to SIG Manufacturing uh, on their, well, first you can go on their webpage, but you can also go on Facebook and hopefully we'll keep track and see how well they're doing once they move to Illinois and maybe we'll follow up and get Herb on the line. Yeah. See yeah, it was funny because good. all of this started when, I guess there was a Zillow ad or something where their location now was put up for sale and somebody found that and interpreted it to mean they were shuttering their doors, which is a logical conclusion. But within a couple of days, they came out and said, nope, here's, here's what's really going on. Now we know. Yeah. So we'll, we'll follow up in a month or two and see how they're doing. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. I think we had all the things on the list. Did I miss anything? No, I think that's it. But, yeah, wow, I think we hit everything. Silence is a no. <laughs> silence is a no. <laughs> And Lucian's uh, I'll, I'll, in the Eastern Time Zone, so we're keeping him up late. Eh, it's oh. just ten o'clock here. I'm, I'm usually up till eleven every night, so not a biggie for me. I'll add, I'll add one more because I put this post on Facebook um, earlier today. Um, but going on vacation, getting sick, I've been out of my hobby shop, and I just got to tell you guys, it's uh, I, it was like an epiphany, but I told my wife, said, you know, I'm going to go to the workshop and hang out there for a while. I have a TV in there. It's like, you know, I'm just going to sit around and just piddle around. And and sure enough, I started getting busy and it's just, it was like um, a, a Zen moment. <laughs> you know, just, you know, I was relaxed. I wasn't coughing, you know, and, and I got busy. And, um, you know, sometimes when you, when you get that way, you find your focus, things come around. And so there are these two planes that I got I uh, think you might remember Fitz, um, but from the Richardson swap meet, the people that were sitting next to us had these bashed up planes yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah. they gave me the fly zone because it was broken. And uh, I bought the UMX for a couple of bucks from them because it was smashed up too. You really can't tell in those photos because I repaired them, uh, but the tail was broken off on the fly zone uh, 182. But this was a, this was good therapy. Uh, you know, the healing process. So I, I just want to say, if you get a chance, if you've been away from your hobby shop or your bench and you're listening to this message, I will say, take some time for yourself and get back in there and, and enjoy it. Because I came out of that workshop, talked to my wife, said, God, I feel better. You know, it's just something about going in there and, and working on it. And again, having the TV in the background and just trying to stay focused. And I fixed the UMX last night and got it flying. So I just, you know, cause it's got lights and it's actually flies pretty good. Now the, the flap servo broke <laughs> cause that's probably why the guy crashed it or whatever, or didn't want to fix <laughs> it. And so I just, I just sealed it up and you don't really don't need flaps for it. And that sucker flies great. And I haven't flown the 182 yet, but the 182, uh, this is an old fly zone kit, but it was a, a brush motor. So going back to an earlier conversation, I 3d printed a new motor mount. Uh, for a, a brushless outrunner. So it actually fits and glues into the 400, yeah, maybe, maybe my little, little smaller um, can motor. And it looks like it's stocked, doesn't it? Looks like it's supposed yeah. to be like that. Yeah. 
and uh, fixed the wing and got replaced a serve a bad servo and you know I'm ready to go fly that sucker. So just hmm. to, again, just a reminder to to spend some time for yourself and work on planes and maybe find that trash plane <laughs> that someone's given up on and then you know you take it home and give it a new life and you know I, I'm I'm actually going to be honest here. One of those planes I'll probably donate. I don't know which one yet. I mean, it's probably going to be the fly zone, but it, it, we'll see. But it's like, this is a great opportunity if you are in this hobby and you know of other kids who want to get into it. Find those little planes that might just need a little bit of repair. Uh, bring them back to life and hand them off to somebody else. You know, make their day. Pay it forward. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. If you've not been able to get in your shop for a little while, the longer that gap is, the less you remember how much you need it. And then when you get back in there, you're like... Oh, yeah, and you just rub some balsa dust and, and, and sm- sniff some CA fumes, and you're yeah. like, oh, yeah. That, that's what it feels I, like. I opened up a tube of Ambroid when it was in there. Does there that count? <laughs> then you woke it up two hours like later. Ambroid scented candles or something. <laughs> or like nitro exhaust candles. I, I used Ambroid cement to build that SIG cadet that I built back then because the CA glue didn't exist yet, you know? Yeah. yeah. A- Ambroid and five minute epoxy, you know, that's what we built with. Whoa. Build a wing so, panel and then let it dry overnight, and then build another wing panel, let it dry overnight, you know, build the stab, <laughs> let it dry overnight, you know. Well, oh, Lucid, you're not far from the truth. I actually uh, purchased a couple of tubes in really good condition of Ambroid a couple months ago, and Terry mailed them to me because it was at an auction up there. And uh, I'm going to use them again, and I'm going to build another balsa kit. I have a a couple of old vintage plane gliders up there. So I, I plan to do that. Now I will have to open up a couple of windows, <laughs> but yeah. boy, I, I, when I got those tubes and I took it, just my flashback, oh, yeah. man, I tell you, it's amazing. It's like at the end of Ratatouille when he, the guy, eats it's the- exactly the end of Ratatouille. I posted that already on our Facebook page. So yes, it's exactly it. No, no, doubt I remember being in the basement all day building a model airplane and then stumbling up the basement. Yeah. <laughs> now I know why my dad was liking the dope and the Ambroid and all that. <laughs> the rattle cans. <laughs> Lucian's in the right, liquor cabinet if, again. Right. Yeah. Before we let Lucian go, I do have one more question. We yeah. looked earlier at your 3D printed motor mounts, and those uh-huh. are specifically for brushless outrunners that have a rear uh, uh, bolt pattern. Right. Oh, so I on our last me. episode, yeah, Fitz knows. On our <laughs> last episode, we were talking about a project I'm working on where I'm actually going to power it with an Astro 25, mm-hmm. an old cobalt motor. Right. The problem I'm running into is that all the mounts I can find for Astros use hose clamps and other ugly things. But right. I want this to be a pretty mount that showcases this gold anodized beauty. Mm-hmm. So I guess my first question would be, do you think that um, the PETG that you use is strong enough for a clamshell type mount or something that would work on a an Astro? It's a 25 size, so I don't know, six, 800 watts. And well, if not... What options do you think exist? Well, the thing you think you got to be careful of is obviously, you know, um, how hot it's going to get. You know, uh, you know, PLA plastics, they start to deform and soften at like, you know, 120 or 130 Fahrenheit. You know, so, you, you know, you, you can't really use those uh, for making motor mounts. Now, PETG printed at 240 C, which is, you know, something like, uh, you know, 450 
Fahrenheit. You know, it's like hotter than French fry oil. You know, it's, it's pretty hot. <laughs> and and it's pretty temperature stable up to about 170 or 180 Fahrenheit, you know, before it starts to, you know, plastically deform because it's getting too warm. So, you know, if you design a mount that has adequate cooling ventilation and you can get air inside the mount around the motor to keep the actual mount cool, I wouldn't see a problem with doing something like that. I know some of them, you know, cobalt brushed motors, you know, they got the, the Sumerian cobalt magnets in them, hence the name. And, you know, Sumerian cobalt magnets are rated for like 350 degrees C before they start to demagnetize. So, I mean, you could run those motors literally smoking hot and you wouldn't damage them. Um, but you had, to, you had to be careful you didn't melt the enamel coating off the wire windings on the stator uh, but or, or the rotor in those rotor, cases because yeah. the rotor spun in those. But um, uh, it, as long as you get some airflow across it, I wouldn't see a, a problem with it. But, I, I, you know, I wouldn't be putting, you know, 780 watts through an 800-watt motor. You know, if you right. if you got the motor properly derated and you've got enough air circulating through the mount and that's the cool thing about 3d printed mounts you know like we, we we've made some 3d mounts before for like rear uh engine airplanes like right wing dracks and stuff and we've built like shaker hood scoops into the mount that that channels down and blows air through the motor to keep the motor cool you know that um you know so that because pusher electrics are notorious for overheating because they don't get any prop blast. And usually they're inside the fuselage and the air is all going around the fuselage so they don't get any air blast. So that's why you could make these 3D printed mounts with little scoops and funnel air into them. So if, if you were able to you know, do something like that that actually forced some air inside the mount around the, the motor to, to you know, keep that area cool, there's no reason why you couldn't do it. Yeah, well, the airplane is a Robin Hood, and I'm not planning to cowl it, so it'll just be a tractor, regular oh, firewall yeah. mount. Yeah. So, and obviously, I won't be pushing the motor hard on that mm-hmm. kind of plane. So, all right, well, I'll keep that option open. It might be something that I can yeah. draw up. I also wonder if you can add an insulate between the, like PETG, and your motor. Yeah, so I, I mean, have you, some type of you, insulation between the two. You can as get well. that aluminum foil duct tape that's used for putting duct work, you know, like duct board together, like they run main plenums in houses out of that fiberglass duct board, and they use that heavy gauge. Yeah, that stuff right there, aluminum foil duct tape. Um, you put a wrap of that around, you know, the inside of the mount to act as a thermal barrier and a reflector, and yeah, that goes a long way to help, you know, get the heat away from stuff. Hmm. All right. Thanks. Mm-hmm. All right. So now I think we're truly out of topics. Fitz, it's your job to take us home. So take us home. Okay. Well, uh, I think I got one last little show and tell as I'll lead us everybody oh, out. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Kind of sort of just leads into uh, Mr. Lucian's uh, wonderful designs. But uh, what? Well, maybe big screen here. Uh, the, um, if you remember the October edition oh, yeah. of. Uh, Model Aviation. What a great the, picture. Uh, yeah, that's a great picture. Wow. Who took that picture? <laughs> who took that picture? So this is the old school nice, model works. That's got a nice badass model in the front of it. It's, yes, it does. This has one of Lucian's badass motors that flies it with authority on uh, 3 and 4S. And uh, your speed controller as well in there. And it's a great power setup. I also have the same power setup in my Javelin from Old School Model Works. 
-hmm. And there's a funny story <laughs> about that. Uh, the Javelin is a wonderful flying airplane. And uh, I had a club member who was interested in a model. He says, hey, I really like that model. Would you sell it or trade it or something? And uh, I said, yeah, sure. I, I got, you know, I can clear up some space, reluctantly. But the first thing I did was, um, before I was going to offer it to him, is I took out the, the badass motor out of it because I wanted to keep the motor power set up because I flew it so well. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm going to derate this plane. You're going to get yeah, the... Yeah, I think uh, that was our, uh, our 3515 940 motor, I think, was That's, the recommended one for that. Sounds it right. Does, it does real well in that airplane. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. The, the motor I replaced it with was noticeably had less power to it. Uh, it flew okay, but... Uh, and I knew this person wouldn't appreciate the extra power anyways, uh, so, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just flat scale like. Yeah, he would have. He's, 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 not a, he's, not, he's not a, you know, a, a turn and burn kind of person. So it was mutually beneficial. But uh, so, yeah, I've uh, been a fan of your motors and stuff, uh, Lucian. It, uh, that's fantastic. It's great to talk to the, actually the engineering yeah. mind behind all this. And, Thank and you so much we've for been insight. working in collaboration with Mark over at Old School Model. Uh, and uh, we carry all of his kits on on our website at Innovative Designs now. Oh, didn't know that. Yeah, if, oh. if you know, if you look at our website, um, right on the in the product section, there's airplane kits, and we carry the full line of of his kits. And it's convenient for me because you know I'm in Monroe. Yeah, there they are. And um, he lives uh, on the north side of Cincinnati, which is about a three and a half hour drive here. So when I need when I need kits, you know, I'll. Uh, I'll hop in the car and Juanita and I will go down and make a road trip day and we'll drive down there and we'll meet Mark and his wife Lisa for lunch and we'll uh, exchange pleasantries there and then I'll get a pickup truck load of kits and haul them back to Monroe because, you know, if you ship the kits, you know, they cost you like eight or ten bucks a piece to ship them, but I can go down there and, you know, drop 60 bucks on a half a tank of gas and drive down and back and... You know, pick up forty or fifty kids and yeah, and yeah. Uh, make makes it makes it a good uh, a good a good little Saturday afternoon drive. You know, yeah, sounds great. So yeah, sounds like, you know, get get out of the Wait, house a little down, bit. Scroll down a little bit. That's yeah, and what what we, uh, we yeah what we do on our website is we uh, also for each one of the kits down near the bottom of the page we give the recommended power system in I our badass that. our cobra and our tempest line so it takes all the guesswork out of it you know if you want to buy this kit you know pick one of these three boom and you're good to go yeah kind of a one stop deal everything uh, mm -hmm. so that's the mamba that my buddy mark built in buffalo mhm mm look at that yeah, it's a world. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think it's interesting that you and Mark are working in collaboration to to set up preferred power systems for these models mm -hmm. because I I've published a few different plans and from doing that I've learned that some people follow your recommendations on the plans religiously. When I look at plans and it has a motor, I'm like, okay, I just need something with about that wattage and I need servos about this size to do this. I don't think I have to copy it exactly, but some people do. So if you put mm -hmm. a motor that's either not available or whatever, that's the exact one that certain people are going to want. So I've had to be very careful about putting motors and accessories in my plans that people can find get. Otherwise they're stumped. Right. So it's good that you have that turnkey option for those kids. Mm -hmm. Good marketing. Yeah, for sure. It helps everybody. And a lot yeah, of people, yeah. when they're getting into electric new, the, the, you know, electric is a whole new language that you've got to learn and a whole new, you know, mindset. And a lot of people are just, if you get 
uh, anything 40 kit. You put any 40 glow engine in it, you're done. You know, it's it's so simple. But when it comes to electrics, there's like 27 different motors you could put in this thing with different KVs and different batteries and different props and all this other kind of stuff. Different and it sizes, can get yeah. very, very confusing. And so, you know, that's why we put a glow to electric conversion guide on our website. So people can say, well, I got a 40 this. What motor do I need? Here's motor speed controller prop battery that replicates a 40 glow. So we've tried to do all that kind of work to make it as easy as possible for people. But I get phone calls every day like, hey, I'm new to electric. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. But my buddy Mark at the field said, call you because you know what you're doing. And what do you recommend? And I'll recommend them, you know, the right motor, speed controller, battery, prop, the whole setup. And inevitably, I get either a call or an email back about a month later going, oh, my God, it flies beautiful. Thank you so much. And, you know, it was so great to, you know, talk to somebody that actually understands this and could steer me in the right direction. Because you can go down a very rocky path and burn up a lot of power systems if you don't buy the right stuff and match it correctly. Yep. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Third try. <laughs> there we wow. go. I call this an Irish goodbye. <laughs> like, Squirrel. No, that's the one where you sneak out. <laughs> that's <a> sneak out. <laughs> yeah. I forget what the, the one where it takes forever. Anyway. Uh, well, all right. Well, Lucian, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it. it fantastic thank, talking to you. Thanks for having me. Uh, awesome. Uh, hopefully we can uh, have you on again at some point if you've got a sure. bunch of new stuff that pops up or whatever. Or we got another mystery electronic question we need to ask. <laughs> <laughs> My plane flew backwards without the battery and a transmitter turned off. But, um, <laughs> uh, That's my job. Yeah, I um, almost lost my train of thought. Uh, but uh, we really enjoyed your time. If you, uh, do you have any last words you'd like to give to our audience before we go? Uh, well, just, uh, hey, you know, give Electrics a try. You know, if you have any questions, you can always contact us, you know, at InnovativeDesigns.com. And, uh, you know, we'd be happy to, you know, get you hooked up with the uh, electric power system that'll work great for your model. Fantastic. All right, on that note, I think we will head out. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this uh, first episode of the year. And uh, hopefully we'll have plenty more as the year goes through its paces. And uh, springtime is coming. <laughs> I know so, Fitz and I have a couple of events together, so stay yeah, tuned. Yeah, we'll do right. a bunch of traveling. My club swap meet up here is February 5th. So it's in the AMA mag. We'll start passing flyers around online. So anybody in the Wisconsin area... We're going to have a, a Green Bay swap meet, so keep your eye out. Cool. All right. Yeah, and you in can... my area, there's the big Toledo swap meet. It's mid-April, so be, be on the lookout for that. Cool. It's at the Seagate Center where they used to have the Toledo show. Um, and uh, what they do is they split the thing in half, and one side swap meet, one side's vendors. So it's kind of a two-in-one kind of a deal. So it's a really oh, good nice. show. We, we, we uh, exhibited there last year, and we... Uh, had great response from the crowd, so it's a great show. That's Good to the, hear. That's the great thing about uh, you know, late winter and spring. It's swap meet season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all yeah, the is, goodies. Is Georgetown coming up? Uh, that's like April, isn't it? No, I think Georgetown's May. coming up soon. Okay, we'll we'll we're gonna stop. <laughs> we'll we'll come back and check. But I think Georgetown's coming up really soon. We we got to get together, Fitz. 
<laughs> all right, all right, okay. We're going to end for real this time. <laughs> everybody, take have care, a good everybody. Night, and we'll see you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Please visit our website at rcroundtable.com where you can send us comments and suggestions or listen to our other great podcasts. Where you will also find links to our iTunes and social media sites. Thanks for listening. <laughs>